comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Because we are doing a special bonus commentary episode again, this is our third James Bond commentary, and this time, since we've already done a Connery Bond, and we've already done a Roger Moore Bond, and we've skipped over Dalton, we are going into the Brosnan Bond era, and we're going to be talking about the film Goldeneye, which I am aware my guests are quite fond of, as am I. Golden, golden eye. So... Um, joining me, of course, to discuss another Bond film, we have the writer for Mendelssohn's Memos in the Huffington Post, a man who you can sit on but not take with you, Scott Mendelssohn. Uh, that's a great introduction. Thank you. <laughs> and the guest writer for Mendelssohn's Memos, re- who's currently recapping all of the Bond films with detailed retrospectives, the invincible Brandon Peters. I love the land before time. <laughs> <laughs> The, the next lineup of retrospectives you'll be writing for Scott's site, of course. That's, Absolutely. Can't wait. You could be the first person to have seen all of those movies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Littlefoot may have lived them, but Brandon will have written them. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, pretty straightforward, as we've been doing. It's another commentary episode. Brandon, Scott, and I currently have ourselves all synced up right at the uh, – this time we have ourselves synced up at the, the opening of the gun barrel logo for GoldenEye. So it's like literally like the first dot is on the screen on, on my TV anyway. So I'm going to I'm gonna count down from 3, 2, 1 and then go. And on the sound of go, that's when we should all be pressing play for those that are actually playing along and watching the movie while listening to this commentary. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to – let's just get into it. So I don't have too much time to waste here. Here we go. Ready, guys? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one, go. All right. So we got the we got new Bond. Brosnan's in here. It's looking good. I've been shot. The uh, what's it? Eric Serra did the score, I believe. Yes. And I do you like the Eric Serra score? I like the Eric Serra. It's okay. I like the sound of it because I it's it's different. It's got a. Yeah. I like it more than most people. A lot of people, even people that like to film, bag on the score. There is a certain synthesizer-esque tone to it that I can understand. It turns some people off. But yeah. there is a cut of music, and we're watching this on mute, so this probably isn't going to help very much. Yeah. It's sort of the the bittersweet – I don't know if it's the love theme because I don't think it is. It's sort of the bittersweet, this has deeper meaning theme. Yeah. Um, and if you're watching this with sound, you'll – know when it comes to it it's 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 when he drives i think it's when he first drives up to the casino in about 15 minutes in give or take i think we just saw uh, bond stuntman run by we're gonna see bond stuntman for a while yeah uh, okay. i remember when jackie chan was promoting rumble in the bronx 
which was his at long last U.S. breakthrough film. He sort of picked this film out as the example of what's wrong with Hollywood, saying, well, this entire sequence up until you see Pierce Brosnan in the restroom is a stuntman, which, of course, is true, but I don't particularly expect Piers Brosnan to be doing this kind of yeah. stunt anyway. Remington but, Steel, maybe. Perhaps. Okay. Yeah. This stunt was a big deal, though, when this movie came out. I remember seeing specials on TV just going over this jump like crazy. Because wasn't it a uh, record-setting bungee? I believe it, it was. It's a, for, for, like a, for something, for a specific reason, too. I think it's just the setting of the bungee that makes it a record-setting bungee. Yeah. I can um, probably look that up in a second if I can find it. I, I did say Moonraker was my favorite opening of all the films, but this one is definitely up there. This one's like a short it. film into itself. That's why it works yes. really well. Like, yes. As a whole, there's characters introduced who actually play a part into the you know the rest of the movie as well. But yeah. you know, if you were well, to just if you were to just watch this scene like and not watch the rest of the movie, you'd be kind of satisfied. Well, it's kind of surprising that this stuff does come back to be the plot of the movie because you kind of think this might be just the this little short film, like you said, setting up the new Bond. This was my favorite level of the video game. Facility. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we, we had a whole, I assume, deleted scenes of the beginning of The Dam, because I, I forgot, I missed the whole opening I played in the video game of that part, right? <laughs> <laughs> And Runway is very, you know, that must have been a lot of deleted scenes from that scene, because <laughs> we had to delete, take out all the turrets and everything in the, in the game. And there we go. See, um, it's shame, like, every Bond gets, except for Roger Moore, got some kind of classic reveal opening for the character. Roger Moore was just hanging out at his apartment with some girl when M stopped by. Which feels very Roger Moore when you think about it. It it is, but it's the most uncool of of all of them. I mean, mean, uh, Lazenby even got a cool opening. I I loved the game. I don't want to keep talking about the game, but the level of detail in that game and how it matches up with, like, facility, like, it's pretty pretty impressive like the the rooms actually like they they work like I've, I've played that game so much i know how those that layout works and watching the movie every time i watch like the layout's dead on between the game and the and the and then this movie and then enter sean bean which if you shot in the game they tell you game over but really you just won yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I, it's like people that played um what call of duty modern warfare part two if you take out the <laughs> The, the guy at the beginning of the game is like, oh, that that helped. This is a line that's called back, you know, for England, I believe he says. That's of course called back at the very end of the film. Um, Sean Bean looks like a capable double agent, by the way. I, yes, I, it, he 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 looks like the kind of the Bond opposite, like in or his his doppelganger, his equal. Now, this is a scene. I think I meant to mention, even mention this in Moonraker. Where you really you're having your cake and eating it too. You have Bond being a, you know, basically a ruthless murderer while letting Sean Bean be the one to actually shoot the guy. But still, that's a that's a nasty bit of violence. And that guy's basically an innocent bystander. He he, I saw him, Scott. He was selling drugs to children. <laughs> deleted scenes again. There's a the deceiving well, act. Is Sean Bean essentially shooting his own employees during this? I I've been confused always about the level of involvement Sean Bean's supposed to. I, it seems like he's only in League of Oromov. That's yeah. kind of the the thought yeah. I had. And this this was a classic case if you know how to catch a bad guy in a movie like this. Hey, look, it's Sean Bean. Oh, he's dead. Wait a minute, he gets like second or third billing. I bet he's not dead. I, I was very unfamiliar with Sean Bean at this point in 95, so... Agreed. yeah. 
Uh, I knew him from Patriot Games. Yeah, okay, there you yeah. go. That's that's fair. Um, but still, you know, if if I didn't know the guy's name per se, I, I'm sorry. I've always I don't know who plays Yos. Who's what the guy's name? Oromoth. Yeah, Arcadia Oromoth. That's a cool villain. He just looks goofy. Uh, he has a very distinguished facial features, and I love the fact that he has this ridiculously itchy trigger finger, and he's a drunk. And I, I believe Octopussy, there's a general, there's like a Russian general that has a very similar look to Oromov. Yeah. Uh, the, the actor who plays Oromov is Gottfried John. Oh. oh, so it's not Little John, as I might have suspected it could have. And it's, you know, it's his cousin, Gottfried. Gottfried John. Yeah. And he hasn't, he hasn't done much since this movie. No. I mean, you see him every once in a while. Yeah. No he's fateful stuck. decision. Stuck mainly in, in German films, which is not surprising. <laughs> Although he did play Russian in this movie. So. <laughs> now it's it's interesting because you think theoretically, you know, as as you all know, Sean Bean's going to be shot off screen in just a few moments. But if you listen to the commentary, Martin Campbell says they they had a a moment of him being shot in the head on screen that they deleted for for British censors basically. And I imagine American censors too. That probably wouldn't have gotten a PG thirteen. Yeah. Um. But you know, I I I never understood how exactly they faked this, because he kills him. Oh wait, obviously those are blanks, right? Yeah. But two minutes later, he shoots some other guy, apparently quite dead. Because he already he, he obviously planned to be shooting someone else. No, <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's, it's... No, I think Oromov, as we all know, is a master of sleight of hand, and so he's clearly like he's replacing his magazines as we speak. Fair enough. Right there, right when Bond goes in front of him, that's what he did. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's the key. This is awesome, by the way. This is just fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's it's complete Bond style. Like, how do I get out of the situation? I remember the the theater getting a pretty good laugh out of it. When I went and saw it. I think they delete this from the TV version, actually, too, when Oromov shoots that guy. Probably. I th I'm pretty sure they do. And, yeah, all the guys train their guns on him. It is, it's humorous, but it's like, yeah, this is, this is Bond. This is a Bond movie. <laughs> now, this is just cool, too. <laughs> yeah. Love this... Two awesome stunts in one opening. And the, the music cue and everything, it's just, it's really well oh, done. Oh, yeah. No, I, I was always impressed by the big stunt that closes out the sequence. Yeah, the bungee jump's fantastic, but it is a bungee jump. We've seen that before. So you, I've never seen a guy ride a motorcycle off a cliff and catch an airplane. Yeah. So you were saying about Sean Bean killing everybody? I just saw Brosnan mow down about eight guys. Yeah, but those were soldiers. Soldiers. It, it was him or them. Those were they don't have there, there was, Well, there was a cold-bloodedness to the way Sean Bean yeah. executed those yeah. two doctors that we know nothing of. True. Um, on the for the for the dam jump, the uh, the jumping height of 220 meters not only means the world record off ground; it is also the most it's the most famous bungee jump worldwide. Apparently, that's the so off ground bungee jump. That's the the record that it has. So I guess like what from like a plane or something <laughs> something. Now it's it's possible, if if not probable, that by the time you know, not even counting the explosion we're about to see, that Brosnan has already killed more people than Dalton killed overall in his entire run. Um, by coincidence, design, what have you, you know, the Brosnan films came into being right as the action film was somewhat, you know, heightened. So you had a Bond film that basically was, for lack of a better word, ultra violent. Um, there's a lot of shooting and killing in this film. 
there's a you know compared to something like you know Doctor No or From Russia with Love or you know uh, Spy Who Loved Me. I mean, this film is a huge body count. Yeah, well, that the is... Brazen the Brazen era does have three films that start uh, with him infiltrating military facilities and just going to town. Yes, that's true. Found out. Uh, it, yeah, the the update of the times. I get. I mean, yeah, Brazen does kind of. He just kind of kill a lot more people than all the other bonds combined, and um, this is. I mean, it's like, it, it's so steep too. Like, regardless of like, yeah, he's gonna make it his bond. It's like, yeah, that's a really <laughs> steep pull to come out. Oh, he crashed! But it's movie. it's that Remington Steel determination in his eyes. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's what does it. <laughs> Cancel my show. <laughs> uh, th- this title sequence, the. The look of it is refreshing compared to, I mean, from Spy Who Loved Me to License to Kill, they just kind of got repetitive in the same thing. But technology allows them here to play around a lot. Play around with it, and it's far more interesting. And I really like this Bond song by Tina Turner. It's, yes. Although it could have been Ace of Bass. <laughs> really? Yes. We all know how it would sound then. All our songs sound the same. All our songs sound the same. Okay. All that 007 once is just another baby. Yeah. Still new. John Bean getting second billing. Yeah, I'm thinking he's not dead. Still still a lot of nudity in these on credits. My, got... my wife, when I was watching these, if, if there was one, like the Daniel Craig ones, when we watched Casino Royale, she was like, where are the naked ladies? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, she has a top. Good Alan point. Cumming. About a, year so be- about a year before, a year or so before he burst on the scene in the Broadway revival of Cabaret. And then, of course, Judy Dench is M, back when I would argue most people didn't even know who she was. That's before no. she was nominated every, she wasn't yes. nominated for every year for something. Um, Best walking into an Oscar ceremony, Judy Dench. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this, uh, this, I like the because this is like essentially modernizing the Bond series with this opening credit sequence of showing kind of it's reflecting what's going on with the times of how the Berlin Wall has fallen and how the Cold War has ended. It's it's emblematic of that, and that's interesting. Like just the way it all kind of brings us around. Because you know, this is what six years after License to Kill. Yes. So it, you know the. It's a different Whoa. time. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Um, earn that PG-13. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think is... it's because she smoked a cigar afterwards. That's why yes. that's the PG-13. Um, there is one lyric in the in the song that I've always liked. It's it's where Tina Turner says something effective. Uh, You'll never know I used to watch you in the shadows of the child. What I, I like about it, intentional or not, it brings the idea that the people, you know, someone like Tina Turner, her age, you know, who's you know, singing a Bond song who's basically, you know, this series has gone on long enough that, yeah, she probably did watch these films as a child and developed and so did, a, you know, a crush on Bond. And so did uh, Bond watching Connery as a yeah. child, as he's mentioned. Written by Bono and The Edge, just to make sure we know that the <laughs> it was a, not, a high not collaboration. Those other, not those other two guys that nobody knows whose name they are. One's Larry, I know that. Oh, yes. One's Larry. All right, now, this scene, this is funny to me, because um, before Martin Campbell, uh, John Woo was approached to do this film, and he turned it down, but eerily similar when he did Mission Impossible 2, there's a scene similar to this. <laughs> yeah, yes, there is. Very similar. The well, car chase, yeah, the spinning it's not cars. similar to this scene, it's, it's something that happens about 
what, 15 minutes from now? Yeah. Well, like, no, this car like, scene. Yeah, the car chase scene when it gets to the spinning cars. Oh, that's cars. right. It's right here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ignore me. Um, I like this film jumps ahead nine years later. Like, did we skip, like, the Connery years or the Dalton years? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Well, wow. The logic Pierce, involved. Pierce Brosnan was Bond, then Dalton became Bond. Exactly. And and Remington, Remington still again. got picked back up, so they, so they had to, <laughs> to show for nine years, then he came back. I, I see what they did. No, it, it's interesting for a, a series that doesn't really have that much continuity to sort of jump forward nine years. Who plays uh, Serena Gordon? This is the his evaluator? Yeah. Who we, like who, who we presume he sleeps with. Yes. Yeah. Three times. Um... <laughs> And it's, it's interesting, you, you mentioned the similarities in Mission Impossible 2. This film was actually supposed to come out in summer of 1995. It was delayed to crisp, or November 1995 because in the initial script stage, too many of its action scenes were too similar to True Lies. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Unintentionally? I, I, as far as I know. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, for better or worse, True Lies is an excellent James Bond-type film. Now, uh, regardless of how terrible Famke Johnson may be in Taken 2, she looks great, like, throughout the years, I think. Oh, yeah. She's she aged very well. This movie, she looks good in Taken 2, it's just she has nothing to do. Yeah, because she's unconscious for most of the movie. Yeah. But regardless, in this movie, she's ridiculously fine. <laughs> yes. Uh, There's this car spinning with Mission Impossible 2 song shot. Um, James Bond can even rock the, the uh, sweater. Yeah, it's got, it looks like he's got, he's got an ascot going, too, underneath. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like how in the Brosnan Bonds, uh, the Aston Martin is brought back as just, like, his casual driving car. Yeah. It's never his action car. It's just it's his, his weekend I'm, driving. I'm going to get laid with the psychiatrist car. That's what that is. Yes. <laughs> uh, what's, the, what's the Dalton car? What's that one? The, it's an Aston Martin. It's just a, a, it's a one that was modern. For the eighties, or what's the sorry? What's the? Uh, it, it's a sad and angry Aston Martin. What's the Roger Moore car? Oh, man, he. What's they that? had. I love me and you, and your only your your eyes only. Uh, it's like the. What is it called? I've written about it, but I, <laughs> and I. I <laughs> thank you. Let's watch this awkward bicycle scene first. Lotus, it's a Lotus. That's right. Ah, uh, that's right. And they blew it up in For Your Eyes Only to show that they weren't going to be clowning around anymore. <laughs> huh. Only to replace it with an orange one. And right away, I, this movie is so cool because you get to see James Bond doing everything you want to see James Bond do. Except skiing. But, <laughs> uh, no, here he goes right away. He's going to gamble. Play some Baccarat. To see him in the casino. It's kind of a trademark thing. Well, I think to the film's credit, they get a lot of that out of the way pretty early on. Yeah. I mean, I would argue the first act of this film, there is a certain sort of checking stuff off a checklist mentality to it. But I would say after the first 35, 40 minutes, once once the plot kicks into gear, basically, once she steals the golden eye, when Famke Jansen steals a golden eye, it grounds then into a, it becomes you know more of a real movie. Yeah, yeah. A tank chases aside, yeah. So to yeah. Of that. that's one of the things I like about this film is that, and again, I might be forgetting something offhand. None of the action scenes really feel like anything we've seen before in a Bond film. Um, 
from the car chase that we just saw, which is very different from any other car chase at that point. Uh, you know, you have James Bond, you know, later on running around with a machine gun, you know, shooting a bunch of soldiers. That's, for better or worse, something we haven't seen in a Bond film before. Of course, the tank chase, the, t- the train crash, you know, and what have you, what have you. Um, this is, of course, Piers Brosnan wearing his tuxedo, where, of course, uh, to my knowledge, he was not allowed to wear a tuxedo to, for any other movie other than James Bond. But I think you mentioned he got away with it once. Yes, the mirror has two faces. Yes. That's okay, because nobody saw the mirror who has two faces. Barbara Streisand's, <laughs> you know, her children did. Oh, that's true. Uh, Falcon Johnson, once again, just cleaning up the room. Just Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, They're letting her win. Just like, she's even lit better. Like, look at everybody else. She's lit best in the room right now. <laughs> By the way, I'm watching this on a DVD currently. I'm very upset that I cannot currently get the GoldenEye Blu-ray separately, and I have to wait till either I get Bond 50 or it comes out separately. But this movie It comes can- out separately the next week at Walmart only. Oh, Jesus. I gotta go to a Walmart? Yeah, three, uh, three of the bonds are available only at Walmart for a time. Three are available only at Best Buy, and three of them are only available at Target. Wow. I bet the Spy Love Me is also only available at Walmart. That's like the episode of Dora the Explorer, where she has to save three of her friends at the same time. <laughs> I know uh, You Only Live Twice is uh, a Best Buy one. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> To be fair, from what I've heard, the GoldenEye Blu-ray transfer is atrocious. Yeah, but it's, it's not, still... No, it's not atrocious. It's just a little disappointing compared still, to the rest of the series. It'll still be an upgrade. I mean, HD's HD. But yes, as a person that reviews Blu-rays, I, I would be skeptical on an atrocious upgrade Blu-ray transfer. I don't mind double-dipping on GoldenEye if it has to be. I'm sure Bond doesn't mind double-dipping in, in general. <laughs> Two shots. Um, <laughs> that was the easiest joke of the night. Should we mention what GoldenEye is? In no, the, the, the movie will get to that. We're good. Well, no, no, I'm talking about how they came up with the title. <laughs> yeah, sure, go for go it. Go for it. Uh, GoldenEye is the name of uh, Ian Fleming's Jamaican estate, and it's also an operation he came up with during World War II. All right. Uh, the, the goal of the operation was to ensure that Britain would still be able to communicate with Gibraltar in the event Spain joined the Axis powers. Cool. I just learned yep. something. Yes. <laughs> Lieutenant Commander Ian Fleming of the British Naval Intelligence. Uh, but that's where they got the title for this one, to keep it in the family of Bond, considering this is the second one to not be named after a book. What was the first? Uh, License to Kill. And all of Brosnan's were not... Uh, Book titles. Although, um, un, uh, World is Not Enough came from, kind of came from, uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. There's a, uh, coat of arms for the Bond family, and at the bottom, the, the slogan is, uh, The World is Not Enough. Oh, he actually mentions that in the film, sort of explaining the title. I didn't realize that was actually linked to continuity. And as we all cool. know, Scott Mendelson loves it when characters say the title of the film in a sentence. Uh, <laughs> that one was okay because he kind of explains it. Like, oh, it's a family motto. Fair enough. Carry on. <laughs> and it comes from an earlier Bond oh, You're just giving it credit because you like that movie. I don't know if that's fair enough. <laughs> it, it, it barely works. Okay. It, it's better than the awkward uh, 
you know, insertions, in, insertions of tomorrow never dies or die another day or what have you. Uh, this one you're okay because Golden Eye is actually something yeah, that's you know, a, a MacGuffin basically. Yeah, yeah. What's going um, on out here? I don't even remember this. This mime scene. <laughs> I forgot about this. Okay, yeah, that's right. In the little amphitheater. I'm pretty sure that music cue I like is in this scene right now. I'm tempted to put the volume on just to see, but I don't want to. I'll let you guys do it. I won't let you can you can wreck the commentary, not me. <laughs> um, Did Vaughn just get jip for that bald captain? No, I think he left her to keep an eye. That makes sense too. This, is, of course, is the frigate level from the game that we don't get to see. <laughs> uh. Actually, no, we be we, well, yeah, now in this timeline. But I guess in the game, you, you have like you have setup levels, which are it's kind of ingenious how that game is structured because it gives you more orb of backstory and it like and it gives you more um, of the Siberia backstory before you even get to like current day movie plot. Just to go on more about the game, which I feel I need to do. <laughs> uh, Let's just do that. Instead. Let's do a commentary for the Golden Eye 64 video. It'll <laughs> take, take us like three hours. We can hammer I through it. I no longer own that game. I got it right here. I can turn off. I can turn off this. I can put on like my, my 64. I <laughs> can play it while I talk about it. It'll be great. That's some technology right there. <laughs> yeah. I can do picture in picture on the TV. We'll just we'll get it all done. This, I think, if I recall, we're listening to Money Penny, right? Yes, we are. Before we meet her, we we won't meet her again for another twelve, fifteen minutes. Yeah, correct. And we met. We we skipped over um, Zenya giving her name. Zenya on the top, on the top. Uh, yes. Uh, which you know, she actually sort of steals James Bond's moment by you know, in that nature, he gets his you know Bond James Bond moment, and she sort of has a better name. And this is Zenya on the top having sex. Yep. She's gonna like. She's gonna bite him. She's gonna claw his chest, which I always seem to remember for some reason. Well, this is generally definitely a good news bad news scenario for this guy. Yeah. The good news bad news is he's gonna die. The good news, well, there are worse ways to go. Yeah. He, he died doing what he loved, piloting a ship. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I'm is, not doing it. That is that is loud typing. I didn't do it. Sorry. That, that, that is some muting that he's happen. Anyway, this guy's going down. But you know he died happy because the next time we see him, he has like this giant smile plastered on his face when yes. he falls out of the room. Now that, I guess, is Janice or whatever, Douglas, whatever. Sean Bean taking that away? Could be or no, that's or, no, it's Ormov. It's Ormov, right? Yes, yes. It's Ormov doing that. And there's a scene coming up here where Pierce Brosnan in a show of Timothy Dalton like Rutan says beats the crap out of this completely innocent guy here. I he again deleted scenes. He he was <laughs> poisoned milk cartons to no, French they, children. One of the reasons they keep bringing that up is there was a I feel you know a genuine you know an intent to sort of reestablish that yes this yeah he's more fun than uh, Timothy Dalton but he is a certain you know he is a you know a Sean Connery type badass. Ah. Uh, yeah, you know, this guy did nothing to him. Come on. He attacked him with that broom, Scott. Did you see that? <laughs> he made Bond sweat, so he needed that towel. I mean, everybody... Like, so he didn't kill him. He probably yes. severely hurt him. Yes. I mean, those those uh, stairs would never look the same, that's for sure. Um, 
Okay, so Brandon, you've kind of you've in your previous kind of your retrospective in these commentaries, you've established that these Bond films kind of take from kind of the decade that they're in, or just kind of what the general tone of films were at that time. And you know, we had like the the Hitchcock Bonds of the early days, and then the seventies Bonds, like he goes to space. It's like Star Wars was popular, and then we have the kind of the the Timothy Dalton Bonds of the eighties, which were resembling kind of the 80s action movie type situations, which makes sense because it's an action movies in the 80s. What what is the what are the like the what's like Goldeneye going after? Do you have a, a thought? Uh, I think it's just really a modern take on the formula. Really, I I don't nothing comes to mind to there's that and nothing I've read that they kind of borrow from. I just think they kind of modernize that classic formula. Because mm-hmm. uh, but uh, and its skeleton is kind of resembles. A Lewis Gilbert Bond film? Yeah, given the exotic locations and the kind of the... And I'm where it all comes to in the end. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's kind of its its own little monster, but that would be the closest thing I would, I would say to it. Because this kind of was the action movie of the time it came out. The action movie that wasn't, like, directed by James Cameron. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... It was I mean... If you argue that the modern action film matured with, you know, Lethal Weapon and Die Hard and maybe RoboCop, I suppose, then really, you know, even License to Kill was too soon, you know, just two years later to really, you know, sort of take advantage of that, you know, the the, the somewhat more European nature. Uh, I guess, Richard, and, yeah, Richard Donner would be a good example, too. Yeah. Just um, and so, you know, in the, in the six years between License to Kill and Goldeneye, you had the Lethal Weapon franchise, the Die Hard franchise, uh, the Batman films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there you that go. That arguably became the I, – I, you know, I've said this before, you know, you know, Bond was in the 60s, Star Wars in the 70s and 80s, Batman in the 80s and 90s. You know, Batman was sort of the, the biggest and boldest block, possible blockbuster. And what this film – and, you know, the ones that followed, the Brosnan ones, had to do was sort of reaffirm themselves as the king of the action films. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and more or less. I would say, yeah, like the Bond films and then and the kind of the Bruckheimer era in the yes. mid to late 90s. That's what kind of, that's where actually kind of – and then I guess John Woo broke out over here too to an extent. Um, and I think to a certain extent, not to take anything away with the, from the Bourne Identity, which, I, you know – I like two of the four of those movies. Um, <laughs> they're halfway decent. Um, <laughs> but, you know, to a certain extent, the Pierce Brosnan films really were examining somewhat the psychological aspect of being, you know, a spy. in the you know, Especially in a post-Cold War era, which, to quote another film that I'm about to reference, you know, sorry, boy, the games... Have, well, actually, this film, where he says, you know, sorry, the games have all changed, you know, everything you fought for means nothing. Which, of course, has been a running theme of almost every spy film in the last 20 years. Um, you know, films like this and Mission, the first, especially the first Mission Impossible, they're really about, well, what does it mean to be a spy in a very uncertain time? When the you don't really know who the enemy is. Or, you know, your enemy today might be your friend tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Brazen was uh, interested when he took the role. I mean, he wanted to peel back and examine the character of Bond with his movies. He wanted to, you know, find out some more about him as character and, and look at all the people as characters rather than just, you know, make that spy action movie. He was, people kind of thought he was weird at the time for saying that, but uh, he just really wanted to explore. And these these do show 
that progression. And he looked at it as the uh, things that Bond Bond had, like the women and uh, you know the partying, the drinks and stuff, is a fatal flaw of the character rather than a celebration. I completely agree with that. That's awesome. <laughs> and this is Alan Cummings mm-hmm. and uh, Isabella Scarupo. I think I just mispronounced that, but um, good enough. I'll talk about her more a little bit later, but again, this is Alan Cummings, a year before Cabaret. Um, yeah. Sorry, I think you guys were about to say something. Yeah. The um, I, again, this is good setup stuff. I mean, it, it's it's obviously you know it's exposition, it's, it's establishing what the plot is, but I like these characters, and it's good how they factor into the rest of the movie, and it's not just these aren't just throwaway people. I mean, the rest of the room is because they're all going to die. But I mean, <laughs> these these, these <laughs> two, these two are going to these crazy kids are going to make it. So. Well, in, in the past with Bond films, uh, Isabella Scarupa's character would have been a, a groaner, like oh my gosh. But they really actually make her essential to work. the plot. They they you know make her matter, and that's good because in the past you've been just dragging some broad along. Um, I I think what what and one of the reasons I really like this film. Is was her character, and I think going into you know the psychological aspect of this film, as you said, looking at these things as a fatal flaw, you have this character who is very different from Bond because she is out, you know outwardly repulsed by the violence. You know she's appalled by it, partly because it affects her directly. You know her friends and coworkers are about to be massacred in about two minutes, and it's, it's a really it's a horrifying sequence. Um even though it's pretty much all off-screen. Very, very Bond Legacy-esque, right, Scott? Yes. <laughs> um, um, but, sorry, I don't... Maybe it was my turn of thought. Oh, yeah. But, you know, she 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 sort of is there to act as almost an audience surrogate, surrogate acknowledging the absurdity of both the Bond character and the sort of, you know, the false, you know machismo if that's the right if i pronounced that correctly yeah that you know that that so many action films revolve around toys with toys exactly mm-hmm. uh and there's a great scene on a beach later where she basically openly confronts him about this you know the the, the you know the modern male action archetype yeah instead of you know yeah. going forward with like playful banter that'd be you know throwaway and no, it doesn't really help identify with the character it just kind of presents bond with a person that he get to sleep with at the end of the movie he she actually has a real conversation with him uh you know she she challenges his worldview she challenges our worldview by extension um and one of the things I like about this film and Martin Campbell's films in general is that the the adult characters act like adults. They have adult conversations. They react in a realistic way to sometimes outlandish situations. When when there is violence, it, it is acknowledged. Uh, if not, you know, sometimes it's mourned, sometimes it's not. Um, even something like Green Lantern, you know, the, the scenes of the movie that ironically work are the ones where it's just adult characters sitting around having conversations. I could agree with that. Um, and that's yeah, that's the Martin Campbell touch. Uh, that when people die, they are mourned and acknowledged. The Legend of Zorro, a little less than... Uh, even there, there's a few cases where, you know, acts of violence sting and have consequence. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm not going to play the movie too I, much. I, know. <laughs> uh, I like it, but I it's certainly a come down from the first film. It's 
when, when Zoro gets dealt divorce papers in the most dramatic way possible, <laughs> kind of uh, and now this is horrible. And there we go. <laughs> is that a Russian Alex Borstein, by the way? I do not know. And she's, of course, getting, you know, aroused by this. Uh, Any, anyone that knows who Alex Borstein looks like, she's like the voice of Lois on Family Guy, and she's on Mad TV, knows exactly what kind of joke. I love his like. look here. I mean, you give him that great reaction shot. There's actually a lot of blood in this. Jeez. Yeah. Squibbing it. Yeah. Which is, I think, the only place you actually see squibs in this movie. I, I say that only because, you know, Martin Campbell was talking at some point in the commentary about the level of violence. And he said, you know, he said that there weren't any squibs in the film. So and I think he's right in that there's, you don't see scenes where someone gets shot and, you know, blood packs burst. Yeah. You see the aftermath. Um, yeah. Um, We're seeing the actual golden eye, by the way, for anyone. Yes. Concerned. Um, and I remember when I, when I saw this in a theater, you know, I liked that the, you know, some of the violence did, you know, quote unquote, was upsetting. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, you know, everybody was whining about License to Kill. This is far worse than License to Kill, and nobody cares. Uh, as are pretty much all the Bond films from this point on. You know, License to Kill is almost child's play compared to the Brosnan era and the Craig era in terms of sheer on-screen violence and body count. Yeah, and I asked Brandon on Twitter the other day, is License to Kill the goriest Bond movie? Because it really, it's a pretty bloody movie. There's... There's Casino ben- Royale is pretty gory. Yeah, so pres- it's Quantum of Solace, but uh, I, the one that just lingers on it would be License to Kill. Yeah. Fair enough. It's Bond, been a while. Like, Bond is it's, very- it's, it's a point of the film rather than just a, a you know a accompanying member. Like there's there's the several film. shark attacks in License to Kill. Bond is bloodied up to hell. Benicio del Toro meets a very de- really gr- grisly death in that movie. Like, do we do we see any of that? We see a lot of blood. There's a one guy that gets his, his head blows up in that movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. the, the pressure chamber. Up. The money laundering bit. Yeah, evil, evil, evil Agent Johnson, no relation to Agent Johnson from Die Hard, Richard Davies. <laughs> 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 he, play, he, he, like, plays, he blows up a guy, blows a, heads, a guy's head, up. Fair enough. Who was framed by Bond. Yeah. yeah yes, yeah. That Now, now that said, yes, the, I mean, these movies, the Brosnan movies are, they do have a, fair share of violence in them, and there are, are a lot more deaths in these movies overall. But I, yes, fair enough. And then, yeah, Casino Royale is pretty bloody. <laughs> it's more of Bond just bleeds a lot in that movie. Like, what, what's, like, the, the terminal chase after in the airport? Like, at one point, he's just covered in blood because he's just been rolling around in asphalt. Yeah. I'm excited to watch Casino Royale again, by the way. I've been watching all the Bond movies. I haven't watched that one yet, and I haven't watched that movie in, like, a couple years, and... I've watched the movie a lot, but I'm really excited to watch it again. It's greatness. I, yeah. Here's money, Bunny. Looking good, by the way. She was out on the sound. This is a scene that just barely works. Because it's so obviously, ha-ha, we're acknowledging the you know, new sexual politics of the workplace, hearty-har-har. Um, and I would argue it only works because of her line that ends it, where she basically says... You know, you have to make good on your Wendu's at some point. So she still is flirting with him. She's not, you know, trying to challenge him in any real way. Um, but this is a change in the relationship, of course, where she, you know, obviously they're both flirting with each other, but he is sort of pursuing her and she is rebuffing him. If I recall, as 
there anybody you know any of the previous films played that as well or was it always her lusting after bond uh she uh lois maxwell had moments where you know she would play with him more or lead him more on than bond would lead on money penny yeah i think that yeah. it's always been kind of a teeter-totter uh, there's there's absolutely nothing though in the, the dalton bonds with that <laughs> money penny yeah, she's like just this this blonde girl that like, she's like an intern that works there with big, gla- big, with 80s big, gla- big glasses. Big glasses, yeah. She's like she's she's got off the night from the, babysitting to work at MI6 for an evening. Yeah, they, they put put the glasses on the model and she's she's a just scientist, so geeky, and she's a Christmas Jones. Yes, I like that too. The introduction of M's character. Yes, yes, yes. And I I like this because through M we reset Bond and you know put him in the new era with you know no longer cold war he's she doesn't like that he's his cavalier attitude and it sets up a a building relationship through the brosnan bonds with him and m that kind of comes to a head and completes and world is not enough because they don't really they they do stuff with it and die another day but it's just not it's near more, focus yeah it's more early on just kind of putting where these characters are at given the torture thing and stuff yeah but yeah, world is not enough. That big, I mean, M's a supporting character in that movie, or like, yeah. a, like a true supporting character in that. Movie. Oh, absolutely. She's not just there to give him the mission. I mean, this one they're learning each other. The next one they've learned to work together, and then world is not enough. They become a closer relation. They have a closer relationship by, you know, dealing equally with a tragedy. Is it together? Is this the first one where they've referenced the fact that there's a new M? Uh... Because the the switch up of M's in the previous Bond films, like it didn't see. I can't recall if it was like a, hey, there's a new M in place. It's more of just, hey, the, we have a new actor, but we're not really acknowledging it kind of thing. Yeah, I think this is the first time they've ever said that, you know, this yes. M is different from other M's, there, which, of course, they'd have to. This, the, the second M uh, that was there from Octopussy through License to Kill was a character in uh, Spy Who Loved Me, but it's unclear whether it was that character promoted to M or he's just playing the same M that Bernard Lee played. Huh. Okay. Because they do like to bring a lot of cast members back in different roles. Yeah, like Maude Adams. <laughs> Maude Adams, Jodon Baker. GW. <laughs> I, I've been watching, I was watching uh, Man with the Golden Gun at lunch, and I was wondering, like... Oh, was, oh Pepper, ah. <laughs> I was watching that, I was like, at what point in Live and Let Die were people like, people are going to love the GW character. We need to bring back <laughs> this, this this southern racist sheriff into the, <laughs> and take him to Thailand for Man with the Golden Gun, because... Well, it, it's boy. mainly because they didn't know what they had following Live and Let Die. They rushed <laughs> production into Man with the Golden Gun. After like the first weekend a box office came out and it was a big hit, mm-hmm. it didn't really have the legs. So I mean, they they jumped the gun on it and just figured everything in Live and Let Die was working. So they brought Pepper back, you know, thinking, oh yeah, people like that, they're gonna love him coming back, and it wasn't the case. And I'll tell you what, you know what makes a car jump really cool? Slide whistles. Yes. Okay, now I so because I I don't I don't I don't mind Man with the Golden Gun as much as you hate it, but yeah, that movie is kind of ridiculous. Especially, and there's a nice model shot, by the way. Um, the, the the it has a perfectly good stunt involving a corkscrew jump with a car over a ramp, and then they're like, let's put a slide whistle over it to make this even better. <laughs> I don't know what the thought process was. It's the coolest thing in the damn movie, and it is just 
messed up with that. It's again, it's that kind of, I feel like it's that British director thing of like inserting awkward humor where they don't don't need to have it, like having you know double takes and a guy looking at his bottle of alcohol and like what am I drinking? Like that kind of. <laughs> we need this weird humor. <laughs> that was the final cherry on the poop cake for uh, Guy Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Serving up slices. Okay, back to Goldeneye. <laughs> so we just saw we just saw Servanaya get what the EMP bomb blast. Something yes. like that. And she's taking a moment to you know acknowledge her fallen coworkers. Now she's gonna ask that's what normal human beings do. And now she's gonna ask Hal to open the pod bay doors, but I'm sorry, the thing yes. malfunctioned and it's like afraid I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> And one thing I like about this film, this character, is we spend an awful lot of time with her well before she even meets Bond. Yes. And that, to me, even you know, relevant of how much I like this film, that is a sign of a terrific female character, you know, that isn't just the love interest. I mean, I'm not a fan of John Carter, but one of the things I liked about John Carter is how well-developed the female lead was even before she and John Carter crossed paths. Well, and I like that we get to see this escape and everything here. It hardens her, you know, makes it believable that she would go on her own personal yes. revenge crusade. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, you really, there is a lot of time spent with not Natalia's character before she meets up with Bond. And you get her, like, in those, like, when she's going to go into the, the computer room thing, whatever, and, you know, kind of set up yeah. a game of how she's going to figure out what to do next. Like, it's... And she basically wants a computer that... I would guess it's probably less powerful than my cell phone. Yeah, yeah. When she describes uh, the computer that she needs, <laughs> we'll have to pay attention to that one when it comes up. Yeah, yeah. I'm, down, I'm downloading the Bond codes on my iPhone right now. <laughs> Gold, the Golden no, Eye Gold, access codes. Yes. Uh, it's uh, interesting though because they make a big deal about how M is you know a number cruncher and she doesn't go with her gut and won't send a man to her death. And if I'm not mistaken, that never comes up in any of the other Brosnan films. Uh, that's sort of a, a characteristic that, that's emphasized here and then sort of forgotten about. Well, I I think it's meant to to show she has, like, no field experience and how could she... Yeah. And it, it, it's only needed for this film. Yeah. Because her number crunching leads to, you know, doing a background check on Bond. Yeah, rather yeah. than just personal experience. And I, I'll tell you what: is there anybody? I mean, Pierce Brosnan had to be Bond for this movie, right? Since Dalton dropped out, it had to be him. Like, who else in the '90s could have just nailed it like this? Uh, and you would know this. Who else was up for it? I mean, you know, it's it's. He was I mean, always the front runner for obvious reasons. It was were, it was basically ironically Liam ne- Liam Neeson was up for it. Um, Mel Gibson's name was tossed around. There was some okay, believe it or not, there was Vegas odds um, on who would be the next Bond, and Pierce Brosnan was like clear favorite. So yeah. put your money on him. But in like the top ten, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves? You know, I don't know if it was a, a uh, actual name thrown around. Yes. The, I, I mean, I, I, I don't like. I like he's Keanu Reeves a lot. Speed, me, so um, that's true. But yeah, but, like, like there's no suaveness to Keanu Reeves. No, but I don't know why the. But it was in the Vegas odds makers thing for the next Bond, and 
he was in there. I don't. I'd never read anything about the studios actually huh. talking Keanu Reeves, but they they even had uh, a couple female names in there in the Vegas odds things. They were like fifty to one. Sharon I can't Stone. Remember. Yes. Yes. Wesley Snipes was a, was someone they were. T- I mean, after no. License to Kill. I mean, I just remember you know reading Entertainment Weekly here and there. You know, they were, you know, make it a woman, make it an African American, make it you know. Everything untraditional they could possibly get away with saying, and of course, in the end, they went with uber traditional. I'm sure um, we can talk about for, this too when uh, when Daniel Craig gets, or when we talk about Quantum Solace. But Daniel Craig's casting also caused more like, oh, there's a lot of speculation about who could play Bond in the in those. That was the largest search, yeah, ever. I mean, Scott and I auditioned for it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I had a great read. Were, Unfortunately, the woman I read with was an absolute talentless hack. <laughs> Thanks, Natalie Portman. <laughs> but as, uh, M has a nice book collection, apparently. She's brushing up. Mm. This is all like one night, too, right? Yeah. It's yeah. a long day at the office for Bond. I it's like, well, we're going to get out of here. And look who's back. This is an important scene. It is, yes. Really I mean, digging into Bond's character and how things are going to be from here out. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, I think you're sitting here, and, uh-oh, it's this guy again. And you're worried, wait a minute, didn't he just go on the vengeance trail in the last film? But, it really, you know, the film's credit never really goes that route. You know, it doesn't become license revoked again, license to kill, whatever. It license is, revoked. It, license revoked. It is, it is uh, six years later as well. And, you know, yeah. What, how successful is License Kill wasn't very successful. No, right? it was yeah. the least successful Bond film. Okay, yeah. So it, not too many people will be remembering that anyway. <laughs> for its, I believe it was for its time. I mean, it did thirty-two probably, million in America. It did about one hundred and fifty or so worldwide. It wasn't a flop, but it, 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 an average Bond film in that era was doing about fifty million bucks, and Golden, you know, License to Kill barely crossed thirty, and it yeah. just got you know eaten alive by it, you know. It was summer of 89. There was, you know, Batman. One of the uh, biggest summers ever. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. Well, there's a lot of stuff you could take your family to that summer. And License to Kill, You opening weekend you thought you could. But after that, people probably <laughs> got the word out that it was a bit too bloody. Um, shark was back... attacks. Yeah. Shark attacks. And there was a lot of talk about the film's, you know, violent content, you know, as a, a reason to dislike the film, which always makes, you know, annoys me. It's like, oh, you know, this should have been an R, or it shouldn't have been a PG-13. They should have toned it down. It's like, well, that's fine, but how's the movie? Yeah. Um, but. Well, and it, License to Kill was also the last Bond film released in the summer, too. They moved that is in true. November, November uh, and December for Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I wonder why to this day. It's not like, you know, the Jackal was going to be that hardcore competition here. Uh, I, yes. I I love Chucky Terrio, by the way, and I'm so cool. I'm so happy that he, I love this cast of this Bond movie. Like, there's a lot of great yes. like character actors in it, and it's I was happy. I was happy that Chucky Terrio coming in. Like after this is like, what would this be? This would be the same year as Bad Boys, I guess, where he's the villain of that movie. But this is after like La Femme Nikita, where he plays a very great character in that movie. That I oh really yeah, like. and it's like yeah, Chucky Terrio's here. Yeah, this is probably Wait the best minute. all around. This is the best all around cast until Casino Royale. Casino Royale, like, yeah. Wait a minute, that guy's the villain from Bad Boys. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while. Gary has done a lot. Like, yes, yes. Is, now yeah. I recognize him. He looks he's, so he's, different when he's, he's actually 
He's very you know, mannered in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember being very sort of greasy and Euro trashy in Bad Boys. That a staple of the John Jerry Brooker action The Michael Bay. <laughs> That's another movie that, oddly enough, I mean, you know, I'm not going to praise it to high heaven or anything, but and it's a movie that, again, it's 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 the first film anyway. Its violence has a weight that I was impressed by. I uh, yeah, I mean, I, when when people die, they acknowledge it. And when Michael Bay had to kind of restrain himself, or he didn't have yes. the budget to really go Michael Bay, he just had the budget to be Michael Bay movie, like, and it, it worked that way. Um, it wasn't even a Michael Bay movie back then; it was just Bad Boys, right? It was Bad Boys. Yeah. It was a, it was a Martin Lawrence movie. If anything, that's probably the most popular name between everyone in, but besides Jack, Jerry Bruckheimer and yeah. Don and Don yeah. at that time. Will Smith wasn't as popular then. Martin Lawrence was yeah, the second liner. Oh. Taylor Leone was huge back then. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe Palatoniano, wow. Joe Pants. Joey Pants. Okay. Right, this I, is, a, I this like is the first of three BMWs? Correct, yeah. This one's because it, Well, I would say that I thought Scott was going to say something. So, uh, no, three B, they did a they had a three-picture deal with BMW starting with this one. So And they barely use it in this movie, so they don't only describe what the Z three does in Golden. Yes. They don't you don't see anything that it actually does. You just see them drive in it once. And it's the coolest of the three cars looking. It is, it. yeah, I, I'd agree with that. The, the, yeah, because this was whatever. Let's get to let's the talk. Tomorrow never die the Tomorrow Never Dies car looks like he should be picking up his kids after school. <laughs> <laughs> Q, this is a great I mean Q's always like a lot of fun but this, this is a is great one of the better Q yeah um but you know it's interesting we're, we're 51 minutes into the movie and really there, there's been a lot of incident and, and violence arguably but not a lot of you know hard action you've had the pre-credit sequence and you've had a car chase that arguably was as much for comic relief as anything mm-hmm. really you know the first yeah, the, half the, of this the film slaughter at the all, station though yeah, yeah, again, that's I, I got that as violence more than action. Okay, but, um, but really, the first hour of this film is pretty much all set up in character, and then the last hour is almost completely nonstop action. It is, but it's and it's well balanced though. You just you're yes. into it like it's a it's a it's a strong movie. Like it just works. Yeah. you're into these I mean, there's, the dialogue. You know, he, no, go ahead. Sorry, it, it's written well. Like you have these. Just this great production value just going on, but it just feels like a, a fun Bond ride where you're not like you don't feel like you're being bogged down with the details. You feel like you're getting this story that's being told to you, and you're like, yeah, I'm with this. Okay, Bond's got a mission. You got these other characters; they're being set up for me. Like it all works very well. Well, I think and, instead of having the scenes where Bond pretends to be undercover for ten seconds and goes into a club and meets somebody and blah 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 blah, you have Natalia running, a, you know, her struggle to survive. Which is, I would argue, more interesting because it's different and it's something we haven't seen before. I, and when you know, in the one scene where Bond does sort of interview a contact, it's Robbie Coltrane, so you're having a blast. Yeah, yeah. I just want to mention in that Q scene that uh, you can just tell Brosnan is loving being there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I love Bond's sense of humor, which involves I'm going to nearly kill us all so I can make a joke to Q. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know, unlike the his predecessors, and I'm not going to count Dalton or Lazenby in this, his long-tenured ones, I don't think there was a film where Brosnan's performance looks like he's done with this or not buying the material. I agree. Even in Die Another Day, like it feels like Even, he, he yeah. wants to be James Bond. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, Sean Connery does not want to be James Bond in all those movies. Roger Moore, no. he, <laughs> those last two movies, he's kind of there. Well, I, I 
yeah, Octopussy, I think he was having too much fun cruising by because it was his type of movie. Yeah. And that hurts. And then, you know, For Your Eyes Only, he looks maybe kind of tired. I know he was not happy with a lot of the ultraviolence in that script. So some of it comes across as him tired. Um, and View to a Kill, I, I don't know. He had Tanya Roberts to look at, so he's like, oh, whatever. It creeped him out, though. Okay, well, but, he had he had Duran Duran to sing along to. He did, he did. <laughs> Okay, here's jo- so here's Joe Don Baker's character, who was previously a Bond villain in this The Living Daylights. I yes. killed you about ten years ago. Yeah. This is this is uh, Felix Leiter 2.0, because yeah. they are following continuity that Felix Leiter is now missing limbs. Alive, but missing limbs. I guess so. that's the logic, right? Yes, <laughs> he can't. He can't. Yeah, he, come onto a bond mission with i'd say he's typing at the cia <laughs> only one-handed at best now i because they use they bring this character what wade jack wade back he, yeah, they, yeah. they bring him back for tomorrow never dies as well yes but they don't have him anymore do you think like, do you think he had like a three pick a three bond picture deal perhaps or well um he was only in those two i think well you know he's in these yeah. living daylights well so he's you know he's done oh, oh, three movies sorry. technically yeah, yeah. total like I, uh, I don't know. Well, it's been it's been six and a half years. Uh, maybe some of the people working on this film he'd done some work with or was friends with before, and that's how he came on board. There's always you know there's always that possibility, okay. and people people think there's been time and it, yeah, it's just a, it's a I mean because it's like it's not just like you know like a different like someone else playing M all of a sudden who was like in MI6 already. It's like this is a character that was a Bond villain in a movie, and now he's well, like I, Bond's Bond CIA party. I correct myself. It's been eight years since yes, he was in a Bond day, movie. Yeah, uh, daylights, not license to kill. So they're probably going off that no one's going to remember. Yeah. I, back then, you got like one big factor is a lot of the studios weren't realizing us geeks were watching movies over and over and over and over and over again on VHS at this point. So little continuity stuff like that wasn't getting as nitpicked. I mean, yeah, it doesn't bug me. Like, it's, a, it's the same yeah. as having, like, you know, characters. Well, in, like, yeah, that, well, the whole, like, we were talking about before, like, like characters in a comedy or, like, you know, yeah. the same actors just being different roles kind of thing. Well, I, I was just mentioning that studios weren't uh-huh, okay. looking at those nitpicks mm-hmm. as much. Because they wouldn't have young Scott Mendelson complaining on the internet, the, the non-existent yes. internet, the AOL chat boards of 1995. Joe Don Baker was already in a Bond movie! He was a yeah. villain in another one, and they cast him as a good guy here. Movie sucks. Worst episode ever. Yes. I was only like that with Batman and Robin. <laughs> Everything else, I was calm and reasonable, even at that age. Well, I, uh, I, I do know... Well, no, I, say, I, I did write some things about Batman and Robin back in the day that I hope to God never see the light of day. <laughs> I have occasionally Googled them, and I haven't had any luck finding them, thank goodness. You wrote, like, a profile it's, piece on Alicia Silverstone... No, no, just, okay. you know, a, a fanboy rant. Okay. Yeah, I was 16 years old. So. Yes, what? Was it on geocities.com or <laughs> Angel like Fire? Geocities.com. Yeah. Anyway, nice. I want to see what kind of computer she orders. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Mendelssohn's, Mendelssohn's Mind Warp at geocities.com. Are, are these the first avatars seen on screen in a film? Uh... Well, yeah, it's before Mission Impossible, so possibly. 500 megahertz. Well, like, what, what about, like, sneakers? Didn't sneakers, like, do a lot of computer stuff that could have yeah. avatars? Because and... I remember, like, that's why I kind of, like, I I, never, I didn't see sneakers when it came out. I didn't see it so long, like, not too long ago, actually, for the first time. And I'm like, it feels like sneakers is a movie that was probably, like, cool when it came out, but 
doesn't necessarily make. Oh yeah, that was a that was a nice little hot hit back. In it the feels day. like a movie that's kind of hit for its time and like was very aware of that fact. But well, I would argue in some ways it was ahead of its time in terms of how it looked at you know the information being the new you know weapons et cetera et cetera. Uh, um, see, yeah, I get that angle, but it also just feels like it knows that it's doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I saw Sneakers when it first came out. I loved it. I I think it's an incredibly entertaining movie. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, and one thing I've I've always thought was interesting about it is it's often incredibly tense despite having almost no violence. Because it's a, um, it's, a it's a caper comedy with Daniel yeah, exactly. in a in a supporting yeah. role. Yeah, um, this 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 uh this setup here kind of looks like a it's waiting for a John Woo action sequence to happen. <laughs> Going back to him. <laughs> you mean a, a dark alley with <laughs> well, no, uh, the, church, the, ch- oh, the, the church, church. Oh, okay, yeah. the church thing. I saw a dove. Oh, the church thing. You're still like ahead, like a, a second or two. Just okay. Give it a pause. Give it a pause, and then like press it. <laughs> like two seconds. <laughs> tell I me thought when I heard. I thought I heard talk about the BMW up. before it showed up. <laughs> tell me when Boris. We're, we're watching Joe Don Baker and Bond talk in the in the small car right now. That's what we're watching. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because now we're getting to the church. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, okay. Oh, I see what yeah, you mean. Okay. It does look like a John Woo <laughs> It's like, yeah, like John Travolta and Gina Gershon are sitting here waiting for Nick Cage to show up. Yes. Uh, Chow Yun Fat's in the background, too, saying his prayer and, like, getting a, a wound cauterized by Tony. <laughs> and Ben Affleck's like, when can I collect my paycheck? Like, what am I Heck. doing here? I don't belong here. And, and Christian uh, Slater's like, I need a job, man. <laughs> I need a job. Can I do my Jack Nicholson impression? Says Christian Slater. Don Claude Van Damme's like, I hired you before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Has Boris grabbed her yet? Nah, yes. they just got her. Yep. All right. I do like that she doesn't know. Well, now she's about to find out. But, like, Natalia does not know, like, what Boris is up to. Like, yeah, it's a neat kind of like reveal. But now there we're on the full train, and it's Hagrid. Yeah, and Hagrid. Hagrid's here, and things get way entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> with the with an uncredited mini driver in the background. Mini driver, yeah. As his 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 lounge singing girlfriend. <laughs> that Bond makes a comment about how awful her singing is. What has she done before, like Goodwill Hunting? When like that's two years later. Um, is she, Circle like... of Friends was her breakout. Okay, it came out the same year as this. With uh, uh, Chris O'Donnell. She also did Gross Point Blank. That's, 90, uh, that's 96. That was two years 97, later. 97, right? 97, yeah. yes. 97. Uh, when was, was it Hard Rain? Hard Rain's 98. Yeah, 98. Christian Slater. Yep. Which I own on Blu-ray. It's not a, it's a perfect, you know. It's a good laundry action movie. Yeah, it's, it's a laundry folding film. Directed by Graham Yost. Yeah. Uh, uh, showrunner for Justified. Um. I think he wrote Speed, didn't he? He wrote Speed, yes, and uh, Chain Reaction, I believe. Ah, Chain Reaction and Hard Rain make a great double feature. They do. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Gross Point Blank, and so that just means I have to just shout it out because it is my favorite movie. But uh, okay, it <laughs> is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's we could do a commentary and just ooh and awe at that film. I see. I beat. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I had to review the Blu-ray for Gold's Gross Point Blank. It's like, how do you review your favorite movie of all time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and there's Minnie Driver going away. <laughs> She's singing terribly. This is where you get a pretty hardcore history lesson. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know about any of this stuff. Um, one of the things I like about this film is that it's very complicated. It's a very complicated narrative. It's and, and yeah. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of shades of gray. And, you know, Pierce Brosnan even said during the press tour for Tomorrow Never Dies that, you know, and I don't know if this was true, but, you know, he said that a lot of audiences thought the Golden Eye was too complicated and too hard to follow. It, 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 quote, you know, demanded too much work from the audience. So there was an attempt for Tomorrow Never Dies to be a far more streamlined and simple picture. And it is. It's, it's basically that yeah. and, and uh, let's put the gadgets back in. That's like, yeah, yeah that's people were complaining about not enough Tux Bond running around with gadgets. Yeah. So it's like, what's well, got plenty of Tux Bond with gadgets and tomorrow never dies. And, all and then, when, I, when I was young and first saw the trailer, I, I was kind of like, yes. When I saw the trailer for Tomorrow Never Dies, seeing all that gadget stuff and him in the Tux with the remote control tra- control car, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I mean, to it. It's not that as much as I love Goldeneye, I I don't I don't you know put Tomorrow Never Dies up there, but I do think it's very competent in how it handles those gadgets and things like that. It's it's a oh, yes, I I think Tomorrow Never Dies is a good Bond film. Yeah, I do. I um, tips on the the right scale of above average. Um, and then you know with with World Not Enough, it goes right back to being relatively you know very complicated, and then Die Another Day starts out complicated and then turns incredibly simple. Yeah. Now you mentioned this movie Goldeneye being you know fairly complicated in his plot, and then you also have Mission Impossible the next year following that up with yes. what would be considered a complex plot, even though Look both, out, both, of the, both, yeah, both of these movies just simply involve, hey, you need to listen. Post, like that. yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the solution for understanding a movie. You have to listen to it. Um, and then you remember when, you know, as a result of Mission Impossible 1, which about until 2 comes out, a, it's a it's a simpler story, and B, there's like five or six scenes where Tom Cruise literally stops the film dead in its tracks and explains, okay, here's what's happened, here's what's happening, here's what's gonna happen. And then ben you ready? Ben, Let's go. And then Ben Stiller turns to the camera and says, "This mission just got a whole lot more impossible." <laughs> um, Robbie Coltrane's really good in these scenes. <laughs> like the, he's wonderful in the world is not enough. Yeah. I mean, he has more shades to play. Yeah, but he's he's funny here, but he's mostly his comic relief. But he he's he's terrific in the world's not enough. He has an edge of menace here. Too. I mean, he was just shooting yes. at Bond. <laughs> oh yes, yes. I mean, he is. You know, um... I love this scene, and I've always wondered. It feels almost like this was a scene that was like a pickup. Like it doesn't. I don't think. I don't think it was. But it feels like this could have been a scene that was added after the fact. Like they needed to add something like this. You are right, because you, you could cut it out and the film works fine. You could probably get Bond to the same place he needs to go, which yeah. is like the, 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 the broken... Very Russian statue graveyard yeah. or whatever. The, the heart, the, the most, one of the, the second most annoying, the third <laughs> most annoying level in GoldenEye. Ken is nodding his head, yes, because we understand that GoldenEye's statue level next to Control and probably the water level that comes after it, those are like the most annoying levels in that game. Uh, but yeah, this whole scene, I mean, it's just basically we need Topless Brosnan, we need Hot Famke Jansen, and like a sexy fight between them. Like, that's the only that's the only reason this scene exists. And it, keyword, we need that. We need so, this, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, she's smiling. But, but my God, like, both of these people are like so sexy in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> but as quips. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing. This is like the first... Like major film for Famke Johnson, and you, she feels she just comes off as a pro. Yeah, 
for sure. And I would I would argue, you know, overall, especially where the women are concerned, being in a being in a Bond film is almost box office. You know, it almost hurts your career yeah. for whatever reason. She is arguably the only one to become a star off of a Bond film and maintain a certain level of consistent employment. That yeah, for sure, become a star yeah. off of a Bond film. I agree with that completely. Yeah. Um. I mean, even you know, I mean, Terry Hatcher. I mean. It's almost like the second she showed up in Tomorrow Never Dies, her career just took a nosedive for you know eight you know eight nine ten years before until you know Desperate Housewives, yeah. which was of course it, a comeback vehicle. I guess it'd be similar to like Jane Seymour. Yeah, and we all know what happened to Halle Berry. Well, she I mean she was that's post Oscar win. Right? Yeah, so. well, and look what happened. Yeah, she she made Gothica. Yeah, and then Catwoman. No, um. But no, you know, Carrie L- now, Lowell, she, you know, she did Law and Order for several years, and, you know, she probably has lots of money for that. Um, but, you know, Sophie Marceau never really hit it big. And she was uh, – I, 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 I don't think she even broke out, really, because of World of yeah. I think she was already a fairly popular French actress and with occasional uh, spills over. Yeah, I mean, Diana, right, Rigg, I Diana Rigg maintained – I mean, never in America. She was never huge in well, America. She, she, she maintained on, it. Wasn't she, wasn't she on Avengers before that? Though, yeah, she had the Avengers before that. She yeah. did a lot. I mean, she never really tried to make a big impact in America, but she maintained her integrity overseas. But she will be on Game of Thrones this upcoming season. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. Diana Ray will be on Game of Thrones? Yes. That's, that's awesome. All right. <laughs> um, and yeah, Ursula John. Andrus, did she ever do any more? No. I mean, she no. did the Casino Royale. Casino Royale, yeah. <laughs> He did that because he wasn't doing anything else. No, I think you made a pretty fair point. I think Famke Johnson probably is the most successful yeah, Bond yeah. girl to come out to come off of a Bond movie and continue to maintain a career. Oh, Hunter Bla- Blackman, same story as Diana Rigg, I'd, th- I'd say. Um, and I'd say the difference with Famke Johnson is this film came out right as the indie film scene was somewhat emerging, and she just did a crapload of indies. That helps too. She worked. Uh, you know, she proved, hey, I can act. You know, she bided her time, bid her time, you know, for, you know, until X-Men. Yeah, a trilogy yeah. of X-Men films, certainly. <laughs> yeah, and then, helped. you know, she did a ton of very high-profile television, uh, you know, Nip Tuck, Ally McBeal, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We're, we, we also, we've, we've skipped over uh, um, Deep Rising, which is a very entertaining movie. <laughs> it is, it is. But no, One that, that maybe was... deserves a commentary from us, actually. <laughs> I've actually never seen that. Deep Rising? That's a that's a yeah. great Stephen Summers like that's Stephen Summers I, unrestrained without with less uh, budget than the Mummy movies. I've meant to many many times. I just never got around to it. I think you'd really like that movie just because I'm sure I would. I'm sure yeah. my wife would love it. It's great cheesy fun and it's R-rated. Ooh, and it's got a great like cast of character actors in there. I'm betting Jerry O'Connell's in it. He's not, but it, I mean, wait, am I thinking the right guy? There's the Kevin J. O'Connor. Kevin J. O'Connor, that's what I meant. He's like Benny. Benny (laughs) Yes. So back to GoldenEye. We have the reveal of uh, Two-Face, of Janice, of Sean Bean. Almost to the end of the second act. Yeah. Yeah. Good reveal, too. Like, if I, like, I mean, I'm coming off this, you know, years later, but going into this movie, I mean, theatrically, you would not necessarily see this coming, I guess. Scott Mendelson did. I guess because yeah, his name was Second Bill. Sean Bean's Second Bill, but I mean, <laughs> that's the guy from Patriot Games. He's not that poor. 
even the well, I've only watched that teaser trailer. I haven't watched, I haven't revisited all the trailers, but even that teaser trailer doesn't really show you much. Do you see? Is there a theatrical no. theatrical trailer? Nope. That, it doesn't reveal this. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yes, the the full length trailer does reveal it. Okay. Is it out of context? You wouldn't know if you had no, seen no. Movie? You know, he finally met his match. Double O six or something. Oh, like. that, yeah. Even no, they they blatantly give it away. That's a good shot, by the way. Uh, that widescreen yeah. shot. Even even then, though, like. It's really it's the movie does a good job of hiding this away, I guess, in terms of like, yes, of pure movie logic, like for for one to see this movie without you know going in with marketing materials and stuff hammered down there. So like, it's a good it's a good story turn. Um, and this is a great scene. I love the music. This is another thing where I really like the music. It's very melancholy, melancholy, and and you know bitter. <clears throat> and out of nowhere, we learn a huge you know this is a huge bit of knowledge about James Bond. Hey, yeah. Oh, he's an orphan. His parents died in a climbing accident. I yeah. had no idea. But the, I mean, it gets you to know that you know Bond had a friend on a personal level, level deeper than a work relationship. Like we've seen, aside from uh, Diana Riggs' character in any of the movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but they have not work, not work relationship. Yeah, I guess what you're saying. But uh, past the work relationship. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're almost toward the end of the second act, really. And from this point on, as soon as he wakes up in the, the helicopter, it's off to the races for at least a good 30 minutes. It becomes a, kind of a, a chase movie that yes. sw- that switches targets often. Yes. Um, and it's it's just relentless. Um, and frankly, you know, you know, this isn't a hard and fast rule, but I kind of like action films that, save most of their action for the last act and spend the time. That's one of the reasons I like Mr. Possible 2 more than most people, is it really holds its its big-budget action to the really the last act of the film. Which and is, every, everything that fought, fought precedes it is basically plot and character. And I don't even know what that movie would have looked like with Mission Impossible 2 if it was the, the three-and-a-half-hour cut or whatever that John Woo apparently made. Trimming <laughs> 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 it down. I don't, is that true? Is that just the... Uh, uh, is that just the... Uh, what's it called? The... The, the rumor? <laughs> No, no, the cut where it's it's oh, like the long cut. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. part part of that is, but I mean, still, yeah. there is a three and a half hour movie out there. So I think that I think it's well, I, I say because I think it's a very well paced film, and it seems to not have a lot of fat on it, but it also feels like nothing's missing. Uh, okay, now this is anyway, I like I like this scene a lot. This even, is a great even if great it is a little die die hard too. <laughs> it's a pretty great <laughs> yeah yeah um. And this is certainly an unusual way for him to meet the quote unquote Bond girl. Yeah. Um And I like Bonds, I mean, to get out of the situation, what's Bond doing? He's using his head. And <laughs> you saw that shot there, he's scared. He doesn't know how he's gonna get out of this. Uh he's starting to sweat. I mean it's also very hot in there. Well that too. <laughs> um, I like the CG oh. shot of rockets coming up. Back, back to the the Sean Bean reveal as villain is is it are we shocked partially because we've kind of at this point accepted Oromov as the big bad of this movie with with uh, on a top as the henchman, henchwoman it's, but it's, it's, there is mention of a of a another person but it's kind of past your mind at that point I think it's more like if I had to clue into what I could have thought when first seeing this movie it's more of well I, sh- I saw that character shot in the head in the first minutes of the movie yeah, yeah. So it's, really, it's really it's not clearly on my mind. shot in the head it's not on my mind yeah. at all anymore <laughs> like yeah. this person um, and also you're right they do make references to Giannis but it's sort of like you know it's it's almost the point where you're supposed to you know they don't want you to really pay attention yeah 
it, it's, and, playing, and, it's playing sleight of hand very well, just like Orabuff. Uh, it's just like, you know, the first time you see the usual suspects, they mention Kaiser Soze, but they don't throw it, you know, shove it down your throat for the first two acts. It's only in the last act of the film where everybody's talking talk about, ooh, Kaiser Soze this, Kaiser Soze that. Kaiser Soze! Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, you know, this, that came out, you know, a couple months before this film, actually. Yep. And I was lucky. I saw that in theaters, the I don't know, opening weekend, the first weekend I was playing in Akron, Ohio, knowing nothing about it. And I watched it not knowing we were supposed to be thinking, you know, ooh, which one of these guys is Kaiser Soze? Didn't even cross my mind. I, could, I thought it was a hard-boiled Clyde drama with Gabriel Bryan. I, I could do you one better. I saw Usual Suspects after I saw Way of the Gun. And, and like, oh, wow. and, <laughs> and, and, and like after I've seen Scary Movie and the whole, the many things that have parodied the ending of Usual Suspects, and I still did not I, – I did not know the twist in that movie. Wow. Somehow uh, I preserved myself for that. Well – I have a third confession to the the GoldenEye Usual Suspects uh, tales. Um, I have never been able to enjoy that movie the way I should have because I first saw my first piece of it when I was in middle or high school. I can't remember. I went to a friend's house and he's like, hey, you have to check this out. And I said, "Okay." And he he told me about this movie and showed me the end scene right off the bat. Look, look how cool that is. And I was like, I didn't even see the leading up to it. So I've never been able to enjoy that movie in its true form. I mean, it does work quite well. I no, think. it still works even when you know. It's because you, yeah. you get to like get to see him piecing things together. Like, yeah, I have watched I have yeah. watched it since, but I didn't get that big. Yeah, I get it. that's understandable. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. I mean, was... Well, the first time I saw Psycho, I was like 11. And even though I had like read the Mad Magazine parody of Psycho 2 and, and mm-hmm. you know, thought I, you know, for that, that 105 minutes, I completely forgot, you know, what the ending of the movie was. And I was surprised at the end. I mean, that's because Hitchcock is the master of suspense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, temporary amnesia by choice. Getting uh, back to Goldeneye now, we yes. have the first, of course, the, the the official meeting between Bond and Natalia. And it's another good scene. It's a good it's a dialogue scene, but it's good. You, you've had this character that you've learned, you've learned about for the past, you know, hour, as you've been following along with Bond's story, and you get you're you're hearing what her motivations are right now, where she's coming from, and it's it's well made, it's well done, it's well handled. Well, because it's it's not about you know you know chemistry or sexual attraction or anything like that. Yeah, Bond's They're... not sure. The the goal of the scene is not for Bond to sleep with Natalia. Yeah. Um. And this is awesome. Chucky Cario coming in with his very well groomed beard, and it's also the last scene of Chucky Cario. Yeah. <laughs> That said, I always play as Michigan in Goldeneye multiplayer. Really? Yep. I always choose Michigan. <laughs> he, he's dark, so he blends into the backgrounds very well. That's one of the reasons. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a really cool scene. I'm <laughs> sitting here just watching. Yeah, it's just guys really... yelling at each other about things. It's like an escalation of yelling. And then boys and of she, choice. of course, you know. And this brings and up a kind did... of a, how are they going to get out of this moment, which is. You know, you get it, looks at her, it's like, oh, you know everything. Interesting. <laughs> Boom. Boom. 
And again, the lay- <laughs> just bring it back to the game again. The layout of archives and stacks are like identical to this movie. Like they did their homework when they were constructing these levels. <laughs> Warm-ups here. He's clearly been drinking. He doesn't have his hat on. <laughs> he's, he's sweating up a storm. <laughs> like, he looks like he could collapse from alcohol poisoning. Any minute. Does he even take it? Like, what does he do? He's going to shoot Michigan. Uh, yeah, and it's and right in the head, too. It's horrible. His shirt's all untucked. He just looks just... Now, of course, this brings up the question, you know, these guards that Bond is about to machine gun en masse, they're not really bad guys. They think he just shot the defense secretary. That is quite true, actually. Well, does he kill these guys? No, I think he just... Does he just knock them? Well, he, he's about no, to kill he, a lot of them. Yeah. Okay. But it's either he kills them or they kill him. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's self-defense. It's unfortunate, but that's yeah. how it is. I'd like to think that all these people are, are again, this level, so it's just uncanny <laughs> to the game. They, they're they all warm-ups, guys, right? Yeah, but yeah, I see what you're saying, Scott. There, there is a little, there's a question of how innocent some of these guards are that he's mowing yeah. down right now. That's a lot of deaths at once. It's like, what, like 18 people just died. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, these guys are unaware of Oromov's uh, defection, and, you know, they, they think Bond probably started all this. And you have to wonder how... So who, who are they to believe, their own general or the British yeah. spy that was just caught? So I guess the logic has to be Bond just really hates Russians. These are, <laughs> you have to wonder how you deal with the like this stuff. He's been dealing with the Cold War since the 60s, so he's like, I'm not ready to just lay down my arms because some Russians came alive. I'm going to blow out as many as I can. Well, I still have the chance. Bond style. License to kill, baby. <laughs> God, women! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, God, women is coming up in just a second, if I recall. Yeah, it's amazing how many bullets don't hit them, but they're able to hit the trap door in the start. Oh, God. Those Kalashnikovs, man. <laughs> sorry, the sorry the GoldenEye non-official gun terms in the game, the, the K-7, whatever, the so Soviet <laughs> rifle. You know, they make a reference, don't they? They can only support one person. So it's a good thing she falls in the trap door in about two minutes or two seconds. Yeah, he was all prepared to use that belt for the two of them and test out Q's theories, but yeah, he's, he's good. Eh, he doesn't have Run to. There, boom. Wah, 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 wah. Whee! My head! <laughs> Where does he get these wonderful toys? <laughs> That's the worst Jack Nicholson I've ever heard. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not saying mine is good, but... Well, then I was doing uh, Jason Mew's Mall Rats. That's, uh... Oh, okay, that works. Yes, yes. <clears throat> Me. Okay, let's... Uh... And we're about to, you know, in a few moments, we'll be going with a giant ch tank chase where nobody is killed. And Martin Campbell said in the commentary, you know, he made a point, you know, if this is going to be a fun, 
you know, <laughs> exciting tank chase scene. You can't have James Bond running over people, even bad guys with tanks, and just, you know, crushing their little fingers. You just can't do that. But you can Whereas, destroy buildings and uh, yes, statues and landmarks. Sweet, sweet turn, Bond. <laughs> and and the, the game lets let you relish the idea of killing people in, with tanks because they, oh, have, God, yes. they have the sound effect and everything. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this tank chase is fun. <laughs> it's all it's meant for fun. Uh, and again, it's something that that you've certainly never seen in a Bond film. Yeah. I would imagine you've never seen anything like this in any action picture. Uh, and it, you know, of course, it's the centerpiece action scene of the fi- of the of the film. Um, I'm googling and tank chases right now. It, <laughs> it, almost, it almost doesn't work because it's so Roger Moore esque. In a yeah. film that you know wants to somewhat play in the Timothy Dalton gene pool or sandbox, this is a, uh, it, it, it's kind of hybrid. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it it's, it's totally but, Timothy Dalton. This is this is a bit different, but the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade has a tank chase, but that's true. Yeah, actually, yeah, that is kind of similar. <laughs> not similar, but I mean, it, it's a tank chase. It's not just it's. Um, and, uh, T- Timothy Dalton rode down a hill in a cello case. Pierce Brosnan takes a tank for a stroll. I mean, fair in Indiana Jones, the tank was the thing being chased. R- Rumble, yeah. Rumble in the Bronx has a hovercraft chase. Uh, a year later, <laughs> or six months later. <laughs> Didn't someone get run over by the hovercraft in that one? Yes. They, yes. Like, and, and like stripped of his clothing because of it. Yes. Well, that's how the bad guy is quote unquote defeated. Yep. I think it literally uh, it literally ends on like a yeah. Like like yeah. freeze frame shot <laughs> after that. <laughs> I think Death Race has a tank, some kind of tank chase in it. Uh, the remake or the original? The remake. The original is just, just cars. <laughs> yeah, I've actually never seen the. I've never seen either of them. To be honest. Oh really? Same here. Uh, Death Race 2000 <laughs> worth watching. It's hilarious and kind. It's somewhat ahead of its time in what it's kind of doing. It's a, it's very satirical, more so mm. than I would expect. Death Race. Is I would say one of Paul W. Sanderson's better films. It's fine. It's fine. it's a fine Jason Statham vehicle. Haha, <laughs> Death Race. Uh, <laughs> anyway, tank chase happening. All of these cars are they're just ready to swerve, right? That's where they're built. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, a lot of a lot of born supremacy esque Russian destruction of cars happening. <laughs> You, I mean, it's not worth going back to pause, but at the end of that car collision that we just passed, you can clearly see there's a there's a dummy in the uh, driver's seat. I've noticed a couple of shots <laughs> like that. I was, you yeah. know what? I was watching the man with the golden gun, Brandon, and uh, yeah. there's a shot. Where there's a whole fight that takes place in like one of the one of the like a, the dancers' rooms, and there's a part where they hit yes. a pier, and you, and you see can see yes, entire, you can see all the crew, <laughs> the, the entire like the lights, everything, because the pier is <laughs> like, and it's like it's somewhat prolonged, like it's it's not just like cut away. It's like wow, you can see all of that. Oh yeah, and that's about yeah, that what, guy. They have to show him getting out. Yeah, yeah. I think oh, God, there's no way that guy lived. In the Perrier truck. <laughs> What's the recent movie I saw where like there were like planes being destroyed? and You had to show like the guy parachuting out of it just to make sure that you knew that he was alive. Uh, it, well, the Avengers has a bit. There's Avengers all. like that has a bit. There's another one where like there's. And it's like a bad guy too, so that was made it even. Well, that's what surprised me. The Avengers, it's, you know, it's if I recall, it's one of you know Loki's fighter pilots or something. But no, no, no. The, the, the one of the Avengers, is like when the Hulk like rips that guy out of there, he tries to inject, yeah. and then the Hulk grabs him, and then he. Like, yeah. There's another one that I saw recently where it's it's like the bad it's the bad guy getting out of a plane. The Oogie loves. <laughs> yeah, the Oogie loves. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, <he got> it. 
Okay. And like the Bond themes playing throughout this whole scene too. Yes. Oh yeah. It's, it's just this is just fun Bond stuff. And what I like about it is, yeah, there's a certain knowing wink, but while he's doing it, Brosnan is and very. There we go. Serious. Boom. Well, here, yeah, yeah, here's the wink right here. <laughs> like the, yeah, when he gets out. This is like the Bond moment. He's like, let me. Yeah, not just. All right, tie and done. <laughs> and that was so popular that he basically did the same bit at the beginning of the uh, world is not enough. Yes. Yeah. And tomorrow even, underwater. Tomorrow never dies. Even has kind of a bit like there's a, there's a couple parts where like, like there's like same where like like a lot of machine gun fire going off and he kind of like one gets near him and he kind of like huh, huh, like moves his head aside. Like, oh, yeah, no. That's actually in Goldeneye. Oh, that is in Goldeneye. Yeah, that's, that's right. to talk yeah. about it because to my recollection, that's sort of the first scene of what would have of course eventually or one of the first along with uh, Desperado where you have the whole you know. Cool guys don't look at explosions, kind of bit. <laughs> yeah. I think you know, funnier died in a bit or some, a song about that or something. It was like it was but, at the MTV Movie Awards. Oh, okay, that's what it was. Bill Farrell and um, um, that and Desperado were first that I can recall, where you have you know basically action heroes walking away or looking completely detached as something blows up around them. Desperado arguably does it the best. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> he's got he's got an armful of guns and an armful of Salma Hayek with an explosion yes. behind him. <laughs> It's literally like the cover of the blue hair. <laughs> I like that Trevelyan is just eating. Yeah. It's a dinner table scene. Yep. And Ormo's like reverse. I don't want to eat food. I want more booze. Ormo's drinking more and more. Ah. <laughs> uh. I feel like I could play this scene of Trevelli like eating strawberries or cream on them, and then Nick Cage like saying he could eat a peach for hours and beginning a face off like back to back. Nice math video out of that. <laughs> evil, evil guys raping, raping women. Well, at least he doesn't do the the uh, classic supervillain chin check. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Job of the Hunt did it best. Now there's a bit coming up here, and, and maybe it'll make sense now. But that's sorry, I never... no, sorry, Scott. That's the payoff. Job of the Hunt. <laughs> 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 it in there as well. Okay, get, sorry. Uh, go, go ahead. Um, and why exactly does he fire at the train if he's going to crash into it anyway? Just to make sure. Yeah, it's... Well, no, because it's it's slowing it down, I believe, isn't it? Yeah. Like it, it, it's not so it's not a direct ram into the into the tank. It's like it gives. I don't know. Let's see. Let's watch the explosion and see what happens. And of course, her delighted, he's going to crash us. And she's like incredibly aroused by this. Yes. That's the look. Yes. It's, <laughs> now, Scott, is the, the train operator, the engineer, is he a Trevelyan bad guy or is he just another innocent schmuck <laughs> that Brosnan offs? Oh, I'm going to go with that innocent schmuck. I don't know. That, <laughs> that train looks pretty high-tech for just some random train engineer to be, like, the captain, the, the engineer of. The question is, how much real opportunity was there for a man living in wherever the heck they are right now? Was it post-Soviet, post-KGB Russia? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He probably just took the job because they gave him money, he could feed his family. Oh. To be fair, he might not have died. Yeah, we don't necessarily know he died, although a tank blast to the face generally does something to you. It was engulfed in flames. We didn't didn't get the token shot of him jumping out of the train right before it hit. That's true. 
I'm escaping. No, I'm not. No. <laughs> that hit. <laughs> that's a that's a good Bond villain. <laughs> you second. <laughs> Well, he was right. He was right there. She was technically second. Sorry, I like how, uh, Sean Bean. They they kind of have them dressed alike. Yeah. Here. Yeah. He's just, but ones with the the darker evil tone. It's it's doppelgangers. Yeah, doppelgangers. Yeah. Just give just give him an evil goatee, and you're like you're set. Yes. Give give him a a, a, a Hugo Drax goatee, and. Uh, well, he's got the scar in his face. He's got the scar in his face. Distin- he's got a distinguishing feature. You can argue Orimov was doing this for the money, right? That's why that's his motivation. Yeah. And he developed a drinking problem because he's betraying his countrymen, making his character flawed and interesting. That is true. That is perhaps true. I'm still not counting him in the instant bystander category. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, of course, is you know it's 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 a little on the nose, but this is a fun way you know using this character you know as a former agent, you know, sort of him sort of commenting on some of the you know the series archetypes. And to bring it back to uh, Moonraker, if I will, we uh, we do have the Bond convincing the bad guy to team up with him for a second here as he, or at least distract him. But I mean, yeah. Bond, Bond convinces Jaws to be on his side of Moonraker. This one, he's just yeah. more throwing information to Ormov that he did not know earlier, which distracts him from you know killing Natalia. Okay, he was gonna he was gonna shoot her just. Now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he 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 used some Bond suaveness to convince him with dialogue of a brief moment of <laughs> distraction. This is the uh, I use my skills to save us scene. Yes. Which yeah, again that that is somewhat of a cliche, but it's fun because it's it's literally a one on one face off between her and Alan Cummings across and the world wide web. And the utter panic on you know on him as as she slowly, you know, uh, you know breaks into a system. Plus, um, once again, proving that she is quite smart and knows exactly. Yes. No, she's she's very pivotal to this movie's plot. And you know, I like that she is exceptional in a way that Bond is not. Yeah. It's not just you know a lot of the films you know good and bad do the whole oh you know this Bond girl is interesting because she's exactly the same as Bond. Like, well, that's well, no fun. I, I like that. They have her like that, and they they don't have Bond as, huh? What's a computer? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. He's aware. He just he's that's not his specialty. It's just yeah. No, she's better at it than him. I like the watch was set up too. That we got the, now the watch comes back. Well, and she she kind of earns her place in keeping with the rest of this. Uh-oh. You know, being along there's for the some, rest of this there's movie. Foreshadowing, this foreshadowing. But it's the pen. No, the pen. Yep. It's mightier than the sword, you know. Indeed. Um, now, did anyone ever have? problem with um, any trouble at all figuring out this riddle that Boris has set up? Because I'll say this, the second Boris says you sit on it and you can't take it with you, I don't know if it's because in 1995 I'm not very old and I don't think of innuendos, but Chair was the first thing that came to yeah. mind. <laughs> like, I, I, I had I thought, no like, delusion whatsoever about what No, that was happened. actually a very easy riddle. I thought seat or chair... 
Because, like, Natalia seems, like, completely perplexed by the idea of chair being the password. Bond is just like, chair. Like, he's got it. Like, the, the the guy who would be thinking perverse comes yeah, up. Yeah, really, with... yeah. Bond, of all people, is the one kind of you would know he's like, chair. <laughs> no, and he has a... Rosin has a certain intensity in these moments that, you know, certainly Roger Moore wasn't particularly... I don't want to say wasn't capable of. That's not entirely fair. But, and I would argue Connery to a certain extent. Does Connery, I don't know, I don't want to get into bashing Connery here. But, Go for it. Well, no, I mean, there's a certain, again, I think it was just more that Brosnan felt, you know, Brosnan and, and Dalton to a certain extent felt more human than Connery. You never believed that Connery was in any real danger, in my opinion. No, it, it, here's the thing, with, with Brosnan, I feel like, he was the hybrid of everything you wanted from the previous Bonds, minus Lazenby. Yes. Where you had the gruff of Connery and the Cavalier attitude, but you had you had the best suave, the best and less distract, least distracting suaveness of Roger Moore, and then you had the character, personal uh, kind of stuff that Dalton was in, kind of introducing with his with his movies, but it wasn't quite there. I feel like he was bringing more of it than the script was. I would but, agree. But uh, Brosnan on paper is given some depth, and I, I, I'm willing to bet he was part of that from I, yeah. reading interviews and, and watching you know, clips and stuff of him talking about, prior to shooting this movie, what where he wanted to go with James Bond. Yeah, it's the idea of involving somebody that has obviously grown up with the franchise himself, and so he's, he wants to... He wants to do the other fans of the series just as much service as he would to the part as much as the, the people that are making the movie are. Yeah. Here's, and... here's the scene with the Bond car, that the only scene that we get to see driving. Yes. Or well, I guess we see it at the end, too, with, with Joe Don Baker in it, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, it's been pointed out to me that the reason that Chair works against Natalia is because it's Boris's first non-sexual innuendo. So, <laughs> yes. so, it, so it throws her off because she's expecting it to be something like that. Bond didn't see that coming. <laughs> the, plane? <laughs> the plane, the plane. But I, I think we can all agree that uh, Brosnan wins the award for most handsome Bond. Uh, yeah, Con Connery looks pretty good. Are you Norm Macdonald in Dirty Work? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yes, my Bros. Yeah, Brosnan is a. He makes for a very handsome Bond, Kurt. Yes, I. You, no, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, if you know, Craig is more, you know, Craig's not an ugly man, but I would say it's more of a certain he's, he's brutish kind of, roagueness. Yeah, it's he, just he has charisma out the wazoo. Yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, he's not. He's he's got that rugged thing. Same as see Dalton. I just don't buy his Bond. <laughs> my my it, sister. It, had a crush on Dalton growing up, and she thought he was pretty handsome. Huh. I don't. I don't know if it's because I just never warmed up to the Dalton films initially. Like I've watched them since, and I've grown to appreciate them more. But I don't know if it's just the tone of those movies, or just him in general, just how I've seen him in other movies, how I have a normal perception of, which is more of villainous qualities and based on just other roles that he's taken. But I don't see a suaveness in, in Dalton as Bond. I don't see. Well, it, it's not there. I think Dalton's Bond shows. You know, this isn't a glamorous job. As it seemed to be. I mean, his movies, it just, 
you feel like this guy sacrificed it all and what's he have to show other than, you know, going out and partying on missions sometimes. But I just, I felt when, when you get to the living daylights, you just kind of realize he's, he's kind of alone in the world and, you know, it's not glamorous. There's not a lot of, you know, public reward for anything he does, but you just kind of get that feeling with his films. And then the second one, his, his friend, one of his closest friends, you know, his, wife is murdered and he's you know almost killed injured and his country wants nothing to do with trying to seek justice for it yeah and i and i get and admire those things but at the same time i am still watching a bond movie and it'd be nice to be able to i i and i know that yeah the dalton character is closer to what the books tried to establish with bond as a character but you know you're coming off of at that point what 30 years of a 30 25 years of a franchise and it's there's a certain Bond image that I like to see, and Dal- Dalton just does didn't quite feel that. He fit for the movie that they're trying to make, but, that, you know, that it's that balance that they could be trying to strike. Like this movie, for example, Goldeneye, I think, does a fine job of balancing a more serious tone with the suaveness of what a Bond character should be. Specifically this scene coming right up here. Boom. And it's also a similar problem I have with Quantum of Solace, which we'll get to next week when we talk about that movie. Now, I guess the, you know, I, I love this scene. You know, it's a, it's a great bit of dialogue, but it's almost tough to buy that she, despite believing, you know, holding his uh, ideology in such low esteem, would still fall in love with him. Um, it almost feels because, oh, it's a Bond film, so therefore, yes, he saved her life, you know, three or four times. He's very handsome, et cetera, et cetera. But... It's obvious she doesn't, you know, she barely knows him, so it's not like she has a stake in whether or not he lives or dies. But uh, but Scott, I mean, have you seen Pierce Brosnan's hair flow at a sunset area <laughs> in Cuba? Because that man is dreamy. <laughs> Look at those yes, eyes. Look at those I piercing know. pierces. <laughs> Pierce's piercing eyes right there. Like, see, like she she's like she can't she's she's being susceptible to the charm right now. In it there done. The poison's the poison's <laughs> gone through her body. She's in Bond style. Fireplace, really? That's right. You only uh, live. You only live twice. I was thinking more top secret. <laughs> top secret. <laughs> more like pop secret. Because you get popcorn at fireplace. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> but no. I mean, if I may get back to, to, to had you had you seen Dalton and anything else before you saw his Bond films, Aaron? Uh, um, well, I've seen, yeah, because I've seen, I saw, if, even if I had seen, no, because I don't think I've watched, I, I'm think Rocketeers was coming to mind immediately, and then, yeah, was, yeah. It, but then other things post Rocketeers, so, and I, I, given, I, I am younger than you two, and I have not, I don't think I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't think I've seen, I don't think I was able to properly, read, if I had seen Daylights and License to Kill before I saw Rocketeer, it's not at a point where I was able to properly kind of, Oh, I understand. Realize what else was in there. So, I, yeah, I, I feel like I, I better know Dalton as Rocketeer and Beyond kind of roles, where he is playing a more sinister type oh. persona as opposed to attempted. But, but even now, I mean, I, I know I just kind of strip that away and kind of focus on what he's trying to do with the in the era that he's in, and he just he's still he's he's just action guy as opposed to James Bond for me. Fair enough. Well, yeah, he was he was an action hero Bond. But I still think he works. I mean, he's not as quippy 
And as you said, not as suave as before, but he, he does have moments where he can shine on those. But well, I think one of the you know in the in the you know the two uh, uh, Dalton ones, he was sort of the first Bond that arguably preferred action to sex. Yeah, yeah. And you know that was of course the that was the modus operandi in you know eighties action pictures. And because I mean, no, like I think the 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 uh, especially in like Living Daylights wasn't like I guess AIDS was kind of a topic at that time. So yes. fun having sex with everybody just was kind of taboo at that point. Well, he had just one woman in that movie, but that relationship between the two is one of the best in the entire series and most believable. It's another one that funk that has the Bond girl functioning as a a pivotal point to the plot. You know? Yes. Yeah. The only the only problem I have with her is in the end when she leads the charge to go back after Bond. I just don't. Yeah see that character as a celloist getting gung-ho like that and risking and there's life. a random missile. Yeah, out of Which, the water. if they hadn't shot him down, who's to say they never would have found that that evil... Yeah, person? really. <laughs> they could have just never found them. <laughs> oh, no, Come on, I mean, guys. Eventually there would be a satellite that just sticks to the ground. Yeah. Then again, you know, you're shooting a missile to an airplane unsuspected. I, you, you think you probably did the job the first time around. I mean, and then the next scene's just Zenya inspecting what she would think are bodies. <laughs> Uh, question: Would you like Goldeneye as much with Timothy Dalton as Bond in this movie? I don't, uh, I don't think I would. No, I agree because it's 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 a Pierce Brosnan Bond film. I, it was it was Dalton's though. But I mean, the script I, was changed a little bit. Um, but this this was a script that was flowing, but he was just not willing to wait any longer on and. Retired because he had a three picture deal, mm -hmm. but they allowed him to, you know, since, you know, they understood that, you know, we've been in courts and trying to get this thing off the ground for six and a half years, you know, we understand. But he was sick of waiting around, but this was a movie for him. Do you know what was changed offhand? Well, it, it started in 91. John Glenn was uh, using the title of The Property of a Lady, which is one of the short story titles. Um, but it's it evolved and ended up becoming this. Um, I did read of what some of the changes were. It was basically the same movie, but it it was Timothy Dalton. It was planned as a Timothy Dalton film. Huh. I I mean yeah I don't I don't think it would work. I mean I want to focus on this scene too, but I, I don't think I don't think it would have worked <laughs> if it was Timothy Dalton just because of I like the way that it. Essentially, I mean, even though, like, most Bond films, when you change the actor, it's essentially a reboot. I mean, this one does essentially reboot the series, given that the Cold War has ended at this point. And I think that factors in heavily to the style of this Bond movie. And by having a different actor, one that has kind of more charm and more things going on, I think it... By replacing the Bond and having that, you know, play into the plot a little bit in terms of how the M and Bond relationship is also changed, like, I think that makes a difference for how I'm seeing this Bond. If I'm seeing Dalton again... Like I, I don't think it would have registered as well. Meanwhile, yeah. Now and I, there's a headbutt, yep. which was cut out of the British version, if I recall, because they have a real problem yeah, with headbutts. They hate headbutts and nunchucks. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the British are against those things. I'm going to assume that pilot was a bad guy. Well, not simply I, a contractor. I think we're all at this point like in the bad guy. Right? <laughs> when, you're, when you're coming out of a secret underwater satellite layer, I think, I think everybody's on the payroll for evil. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, when I first saw this picture, it was a little unusual slash disconcerting. Usually, when you when Bond blows up the fortress and you know everything's on fire, you have these faceless people running around in radiation suits. 
But in this film, you know, they're regular people wearing regular clothes that are, you know, scared because they're blowing up. You know, it's a, it's a little, it adds a certain level of realism. Uh, I think it, it, it I, you know, I don't want to say it was disturbing because it really wasn't, but it, it's, it adds something. It adds a certain plausibility yeah. that gives what should be sort of mindless violence a certain sting. You know, it's it's easy to sort of, you know, sort of turn your brain off when it's a bunch of, you know, faceless people in matching, radi- you know, orange radiation jumpsuits. Oh. Activate satellite. Who built this? Well, here's where we get into Lewis Gilbert territory. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, who built that? Who built this? <laughs> Um, Did Fidel sign off on it? And and he's <laughs> he's trying to, you know, eventually we learn that 006 is, is in it for some money, but he obviously had money to get this constructed. Yeah, we, we don't concern ourselves. He took a lot of Orb of, <laughs> orb of back to... <laughs> he was stealing from Michigan's pocket. He maxed out a couple credit cards. He maxed out a few credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> They made some high-stakes bet on who the next Bond would be and won a lot of money. <laughs> he did not bet on Keanu. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Poor Alan Cummings bet on Sam Neill, and now he's working it off. <laughs> but he also, he also bet that Jurassic Park would have the bigger opening weekend than um, <laughs> uh, The Last Action Hero, so he won that one, too. <laughs> I think we all bet that. I saw both of those in theaters. Oh, yeah, so did I. I think I saw them both twice. Actually, I saw Jurassic Park like three times in theaters, but I saw last... Uh, I, I think I did too, yes. I saw, last... I saw it twice in the first weekend and then many months later down in the uh, second run. Because that was a time when that movie was just playing it. Like, Spielberg movies did amazing at the box office in the late, like, 80s, 90s. They just stayed there. Like, they... Well, yeah, and Jurassic Park was really the last movie of that nature to just play forever. Even Titanic was done in six months. doesn't feel like it, but it was. Yeah. Because there wasn't, there was no longer a major second run, you know, uh, uh, infrastructure. Yeah. Um, but Jurassic Park, I remember seeing Beverly Hills Cop two in a drive-in in June of 1994, and next to it was The Naked Gun 33 and a third, and the second movie being Jurassic Park a year after it came out in first run theaters. <laughs> and it did not come out on video, yes, video, um, until. I believe October, November of 1994. Okay, well, I I don't know what video is, but it sounds intriguing. Anyway, back to Goldeneye. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're going to get one of those fun Bond slides in a second here. Whee! By the way, we kind of missed it because we were distracted talking about Dalton versus Brosnan. Oh, but Zenia. Yeah, she had a great death scene. Yeah. yeah. And one of those, like, hey, that's ironic. (laughs) Yeah. But well played, yeah. It's I mean, it, ca- it cashes in on what she's been known for. It's it's still Zenya being sexy up to the last minute, and like it's, it's theatrical. Yeah. Um, and frankly, and I, I should have mentioned this, you know, a half an hour ago, but I remember being shocked when he kills Almaroff on the train, just because he's such a major character to be somewhat, you know, offhandedly dispatched like that at the you know two thirds mark. Yeah, we're left. I remember very surprising. It, we're left with it should, Boris. It's like our last predictability. Yeah, we're left with Boris as our last secondary bad guy, who's actually the last bad guy to die in this movie. Yes. Yeah. 
he is invincible until he's not. Yeah. I'm pretty, he just bamped out of that situation after the you know, <laughs> Iceman, you know, unfroze him, he bamped out. Uh, hey, look at that golden eye. That that looks like something. <laughs> doesn't say golden eye on the on the side. Yeah. It does say built made in China and sponsored by Wonder Bread though. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Pierce really tried to pull off how threatening that weak PPK was. Just <laughs> that straight. He, he was good with that thing. Yeah. Lee gets a new gun in the next movie, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. It doesn't have like a. I have to watch that too. I'm excited. What Wei Lin gets gives him the gun. That's yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of you know. Uh, I think he mentions with it like you know Q was supposed to give me this months ago or something. The same with the watch too, right? Uh, or like yeah. he looks at another watch or something. Yeah. There's like a whole gadget room that Wailing. This is the. Here, it, it's kind of there. Like, there was that hill tilt right there. Dudes do not look at explosions. <laughs> He's like, oh, that almost nicked me. Well, that didn't quite work out. <laughs> what if they just shot him? Like, why did they <laughs> stop? Like, they already tried to shoot him, presumably to kill him. Like, why are they stopping now? It's like, well, I guess we can't just outright kill him. Because that would be immoral <laughs> as you prepare to destroy the entire European economy. Those must be clumsy. And no one thinks to look behind the pipe he was at to see if he put anything there. I would check. I'm glad he was able to fit a couple of those in his back pocket. Yeah. That's what cargo pants are for. Uh, Again, the game and the movie line up very well. Control looks... It's a very complicated level, too. But. His pants are kind of pulled up at grandpa length. I mean, you, you saw... <laughs> you saw, you, He thought... I mean, before the water drained, he thought he was going to have to deal with some high-water issues there. But True. Or, or he's trying to show his inner Connery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now he's dressed all in black. Villain style. Neither of them are dressed very suave in this final scene. I don't know. Trevelyan Trevelyan looks pretty good. He's pretty slick. He's got a shirt tucked in. The jacket. His his hats or his hair is well. He's busy. There's no time for a jacket. His jacket's on his chair in his office upstairs. Yannis' office. (laughs) His hat. Oh, they have the same watch. Hot, 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 hot. No one's really looking at that, dude. We have a massive leak. Yeah. Nobody smoke for about ten minutes. Just one more time laying out the plot for us. <laughs> Although this is, I guess, the final stages. We don't really know the complete plan until just now. Or at least so, the summarized version of him calling him a bank robber. Just like um, Alec Rickman in Die Hard. So I just thought of something. The, the next movie that uh, Alan Cumming and Famke Jensen would be in, she would die again. True. Yeah, she dies as Jean Grey as he's... Oh, right, right, as, right. As he's, <laughs> being, as he's being blocked by her from, from being able to bamf and save her in time. She, te- she telepathically holds him in place. 
Though you have to wonder why she didn't just, you know, use her awesome telepathy powers from inside the plane, like she does in the novelization. Scott which did not have a death scene in there. Scott, a phoenix needs time to rise, okay? Because that worked out so well in the third film. It did. It really did. <laughs> I mean, I, I was somewhat of a defender of the third X-Men film. Eh. I, you know, it's, it's, it's a B-minus picture. Every time I watch but, it, it gets worse. Like, eh. and I don't, I don't mind it because I think it has a lot of really cool action beats in it, but yeah. it's not a movie that you watch for the plot. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> No, that that Wolverine Jean Grey three day true love. I'm, I'm, the, only, that, I'm the only one that can stop her. <laughs> that's my problem with the movie. If the film had been told from Cyclops' point of view, I think it would have been quite good. If, if no, if she would have killed Storm, kill Storm. Let Cyclops be the man that finishes off the Phoenix in the end. Yes, it's much better. Getting back to Goldeneye, I do like the. I love that he's so happy to see her. Yeah, it just Natalia. I like that. I mean, they they do have this weird friendship that they've you know had from from Servania. And now it's kind of coming to a head because he's joined the bad guys, and she's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and he's genuinely insulted that she just beat the crap out of him. But he also, he doesn't he doesn't think that she's smart as she is. Which is his downfall. And this movie does have really good payoffs. That, yeah. Based on good setups. Which don't, like, none of them feel like they're, like, obvious, necessarily. I mean, the pen thing is just kind of something he does, which seems like something anyone would do that's, you know, constantly on a computer all day and has, like, a nervous tick, like they're just juggling a pen in their hand. Like, it's just little things like that, they work well into this movie and they don't feel ham-fisted in. Maybe maybe Zenya on a top, but... <laughs> <laughs> because that guy was hamish and he was fisting you know if we if we want to tie it back to moonraker what if there was like a q flash here too when bond hits the pen out of his hand <laughs> well it's too late in the movie. <laughs> if it was five minutes later we'd need the flash yeah, but... yeah. By the way, anyone that's listening to this commentary for Goldeneye, thank you for one thing for sticking with us this long. Also, if you went, if you jump straight to Goldeneye because you really love this movie and you didn't listen to our Moonraker commentary because you think Moonraker's a terrible movie, you should listen to that commentary and realize that Moonraker is a pretty good movie, much it better, is. much better than its reputation would make you think, and it's certainly better than a good chunk of Bond movies that really are not very good. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I like, you, you know, know the Bond the Bond articles are showing up, you know, as we. Get closer to to Skyfall more and more, and I keep seeing Moonraker bashing, and it's driving me nuts. It, yeah, it really makes me upset when I see it. Well, I imagine Brandon and I will vigorously defend Quantum of Solace in a week's time, give or take. Yeah, this that'll be. We'll see how interesting that commentary is. <laughs> Two against one. I have I have to find somebody else to join me. On the <laughs> I like that. Hey. What are the codes, Natalia? Give them to me. Okay, now I... again, you're seeing you know regular people you know being set on fire and running <laughs> for their lives. <laughs> oh well, hope they have life insurance. Operation Goldeneye was not a success. Hopefully, they just switched to Geico. <laughs> See, Boris is invincible. That's why he's able to avoid every explosion that happens in this room. <laughs> Those two guys just fell down for no particular reason. Yeah. 
What was that just now? A woman dead in an elevator? <laughs> That's not suspicious at all. What? Oh. This is a nice bit. She knows how to use the gun. She just doesn't want yeah. to. And she doesn't even end up using it, right? She just no, she holds a person at gunpoint, but she never... Act- yeah. Does she even kill anybody? No, she doesn't no, kill anybody not. in this movie. Nope. She even gets denied her, like, one token, like, female punch hit thing. That- and I think the movie's better for it. You know, there's no... I agree. You know, condescending girl power punch. Or, you know, girl power murder or whatever you want to call it. Like, it's, uh, fair, it's fair for Michelle Yeoh in the next movie just because she is a secret agent as well. <laughs> I like that guy too. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good, I really love this Bond villain fight. Like you don't get many like, oh, yeah. knockdown. No like everyone else is, you know, generally some kind of. I mean, especially the main villain, not just like the secondary villain. Like this is the yeah. main villain, and you have him as Bond's equal. Essentially, you don't have them, you know, being the stuffy guy that's you know has all the money and has all the ideas but can't match up to Bond mano y mano. This is a good just a knockdown drag out fight between the two of them. Yeah, it's it's a it's a brutal fight scene too. And it, it really pushes Bond to his limits because he's facing his doppelganger. A fellow Spoke, double O, no less. Opposed to the awesome might of Jonathan Price. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he does he does show off his kung fu moves in Tomorrow. No yes. <laughs> Which I, I also, uh, along with a mashup of things, I want to see a gif of just Jonathan Price doing kung fu moves. His <laughs> character. I think he even goes, ha-cha, ho like he does that. <laughs> yes. I'm really excited to watch those movies after this, by the way. That's a, I love that stunt. That is one of my favorite stunts in Bond movies. Because it's, it's very, you know, it's low-key, but you imagine that's incredibly dangerous. Yeah, oh, dive, yeah. flip, down some stairs, that's so cool. It's very, <laughs> it's a very 90s action move. Just like, like, hood slides over a car. A thing that I really enjoy seeing actors do. Like, yeah. my key example is Mel Gibson Ransom does a great hood slide over a car. Yeah. It's in all the that trailers. That was in the trailer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, for some, I, I love hood slides. Jim Carrey is a, he's a he's a good physical comedian, of course, but he's a master of hood slides. He's done it in several movies. That was an awfully close range for him to miss. Well, I mean, he, he's he's struggling. He's fighting his doppelganger, his friend. His, his... <laughs> Not only the Russians miss, Bond doesn't have perfect name either. But according to the tra- to world, not enough. He never misses. Oh, I never miss. Just like El Rey. <laughs> this is 006's blood. And we can't hear the score, but again, I really like the score of this movie. I really like how it factors into this this whole sequence. It is it is very unique to of all the Bond movies, I must say. And Nothing else- really... Hints to it. And along with Chucky Cario, who is in Lethem Nikita, Eric Serra comes from the John Luke Besson school of movies, too. He scored Lethem Nikita and Leon, the professional, and the fifth element. And this is, if I may, you know, speaking of Luke Besson, mm-hmm. this is a PG-13 action film that doesn't feel remotely over-edited and or compromised in order to not get an R rating. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Unlike certain Luke Besson films that we could think of offhand. Most of which are directed by Olivia Megaton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> actually yeah well, all three of them actually the ones that the most heavily uh, edited ones yeah um well the transporter three didn't seem that yeah I, I, I didn't see but that, that, that was R-rated. yeah except for that weird part where the the virtuous EPA guy has one of his henchmen shoot a cop in the head and steal his uh, GPS 
which is really confusing when you find out that guy's a good guy. It's like, wait, wait a minute, he just killed a guy half an hour ago. Now, anyway. Now back to Bond here, we got this, again, just great fight stuff, but it's like, it looks great. It's it's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Arguably, by default, this is probably the best Bond fight scene since For Much of the Love. A one-on-one? Yeah. I'm trying to think of anyone that even happens. I mean, Jaws, I mean, Jaws ones don't really count. <laughs> no. no, and the one against Robert Davi, they're, they're just too beat up from yeah. the crash yeah, at the end just, of it. They're just really, like, yeah. oh, they're, they're no, like, they don't even fight each other. They're like, <laughs> yeah. The, I, I, I'd have to argue uh, Bond versus Knickknack was pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 when oh. you're not falling asleep, it's pretty. <laughs> uh, or Bond versus like one arm guy in um, the end of Live and Let Die, Katanga. Tee which is just ba- which is basically just ripping ripping off of from Russell Flows. Timothy Dalton versus Joe Don Baker in the Living <laughs> Daylights. <laughs> I like this right here. Just like how do I? Yeah. Slide down yeah. the ladder, knock him out. And I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's obviously it, nowadays you can tell it's green screen, but I mean, that's pretty no, intense. Like, like they're fighting good. at the edge it's of this still, satellite. Yeah, yeah it's like, he is. Sean Bean is covered in blood. Yeah. Now, why didn't she pull her gun on him before they took off? No, I think she did. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, she, I think she it was just to get, yeah, I mean, she just she's emphasizing the point that you need to, you know, not kill this man instead <laughs> rescue bombs. <laughs> Well, that's right, because he ends up... You, okay, never mind. I like Pierce Brosnan's angry face right there. <laughs> Ooh. And as, as you said, Brandon, in your essay, and I it's was shocking to me, too, is when Sean Bean falls to his kind of death yeah. you know, a couple minutes from here, you see him hit the ground. Yeah, like, it was it, yeah jaw-dropper for me when I first saw this. I was like, wow, I watched a lot of, you know, action movies in the 80s and... and the hard, the hard R ones and stuff like that, and they always cut away right and before also, also of interest in that scene, and is that he lets him go. Yeah. And there was actually yeah. a cut where he did not, because he didn't, you know, Martin Campbell wasn't sure if they'd be able to get that past the British censors, where there was sort of like, it's you know, they're fighting and he falls and tries to grab him and fails and he falls to his death. But this was always the intent where he just lets him go. And again, that's just, that's very not, very unheroic, so to speak. Uh... Yeah, well, and, he, and he lives. That's the worst yeah. thing, too. He doesn't even die from this. Very slow. He could be slowly dying. Oh, oh yeah. There's probably, yeah, I mean, his leg shattered. Like, you can see right there. He's, yeah. he's internally bleeding all over the place. He's never going to do anything again. But he's still alive. Like, that's hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I have to use the term mind-blowing when I first saw that as a kid in the theater. I was just, wow. And it's funny, since I now I saw I saw Dread like last month or whatever, and you see a lot of bodies hitting ground from a high distance. Yes, yes. And you know, it was pointed out to me that or friend okay, friend of the show, Jose Cordova, thought that he had not seen that before. And I pointed out to him that Goldeneye does feature a scene where a person falls to his death. Now, since seeing both this and Dread, I've seen lots of characters fall from great heights and land. I don't know why, but I've just seen clips of various movies where this is... In the line of fire? In the line of fire is one. There's lots of movies. There are a lot of movies that do have the villain kind of hitting the ground. Um, Even Last Crusade, which features a tank chase, has the end of that scene features that guy falling to his death and you see the body fall out of that tank. Well, what it is is that in a lot of movies that are are quote-unquote family-friendly or more family-friendly, kid-friendly... The death plunge is a very theatrical way to kill somebody that doesn't involve gore. Oh, invincible. Here we go. Hold on. 
So, you know, in a Disney movie, that's why so many of them fall to their deaths. Yes. You know, in Gargoyles, you know, a show that somehow got away with killing people, but 98% of the casualties are people falling from great heights because you could get away with it. Um, and that's this is pretty much the end of the movie. There's about one minute of wrap-up, and we're good to go. Because we need the hilarious covert op scene. Yes. Now, okay, I was watching License to Kill, and as serious as that movie is, and it's pretty damn serious, that movie ends with a giant fish winking at you. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just that humored me. It also featured ninjas foiling Bond schemes at one point. Also something that made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first time ninjas were seen. So oh, no, <laughs> it is not the first time we've seen ninjas <laughs> among a myriad of ridiculous things in Bond movies, but the fact that, like, Bond's in South America... And he has his plot foiled by ninjas at one point, so it was something that threw me off. Well, in the broad scheme of things, the ninjas did him a favor. Yeah. He never would have been inoculated yeah. with the uh, cartel had the ninjas not foiled his plan. Thank you, ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> with respect to ninjas, thank you. Joe Don Baker just in time with all of his troops. Oh, you mean it's over? Three helicopters flying. <laughs> <laughs> That fighting force would have been useful ten minutes ago. Yeah. It's okay. They had Bond shooting everybody in a time. Ah, Guantanamo, back when that was a happy, normal military base. And not a representative of everything that's wrong in post-9-11 America. Ah. Uh, and that's it. Um, I, I want to get a... If you've listened to the uh, From Russia with Love one... Mm-hmm. Um, we need to apologize to Scott right now. Is uh, uh-huh. we claimed that the Brosnan ones did not have two songs. Oh, but they do. The Tomorrow Never Dies and uh, Golden I Do. Uh, well, I, I knew about this song. I didn't know if that's what you were referring to. Yeah, Tomorrow Never Dies has a, a Katie Lang take on. It's uh, called Surrender, but it's basically a Shirley Bassey esque Tomorrow Never Dies song. I've heard it's good, but I've never actually listened to it. It's 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 good. I prefer the Cheryl Crow one, as I've said before. I think that's a great song too. I I like that one a lot. And uh, I mean, all the besides Madonna, I like I like the Garbage song too. Yeah, Garbage song is fine. It's kind of it's kind of a it's a good one, but it's kind of just there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I get, it's nothing nothing unexpected. But it's one I could I could listen to that on its own without without yes. watching the movie. Without, it's not like you're sitting in your car in traffic blaring Goldfinger and slinking <laughs> down. In certain neighborhoods, I do. But uh, <laughs> oh yeah, a lot of people call you know Goldfinger as you know oh it's the best one. But I would never listen to that publicly or just uh, have a good old time. Yeah, I I agree with that as much as I do. Like the kids, the kids wouldn't rock out in the clubs to Goldfinger. And even nobody does it better. It's also a song I wouldn't necessarily. Well, yeah, that's a good. Song. Oh, I listen that, to that. That's anyway, country. Good one. That works as a country song. <laughs> okay. Uh, but like "Live and Let Die" and "Beauty to a Kill" yeah. are just like those are just rock jams that you could put on. Living as, daylights, you could listen to on its own. That's not meant living daylight. Oh yeah, yeah, living yeah. daylights. Yeah, that's not. Beauty to a Kill, and uh-huh. I would argue you know my name. That's a pretty yes, hard yeah. head banging rock yep. song. Yeah. Uh, the lyrics are, you know, too silly to be, you know, standalone, you know. Again, not the kind of thing you'd hear in a nightclub, but, uh, or, you know, what have you. But it's certainly a headbanging, you know, hard rock, you know, a very successful rock rock and roll song. I also think You Only Live Twice is a nice soft rock 
one that you can listen to. You know, I, as much as we, as much as you once again dislike Man of the Golden Gun, I really like that song too. I just like, oh, I like, God, Aaron. I like that's like the worst song it, of the entire series because it's because it's, it's full of ex, it's literally telling you exposition for that movie. But I do like the kind True. of I like the beat of it. It's very immediate. It's just da 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 boom ba boom ba. I just like that. That's that. It's it works. To uh, setting a stage. Again, I'm the one that likes that movie more than you guys, again, but you're going to argue with me why you like Quantum of Solace more than most people next week, so... Indeed. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're getting to the end of GoldenEye here, and um, so, obviously, we all like this movie quite a bit. Scott, I believe it is your favorite Bond movie of all. It still is, yes, it is. And, uh, uh, I think it... It's... Yeah, I think it's... The, I think it's probably maybe even the best... In terms of quality, I think it may even be the best Bond film. Or the uh, Casino Royale? Hey, that movie's. Awesome. I mean, Martin Campbell doing. Yeah, yeah. It is hard to point. argue against Casino Royale. <laughs> no, I, uh, I mean, it's, I, it's utilizing I, the I, same basic things in terms of practical. I think, objectively speaking, Casino Royale is a better picture. But I think because GoldenEye succeeds as well as it does, while including more of the conventional 007 trappings. Okay. Yeah. You know. All right. Yeah. Because um, this is a Bond film, you know. Through and through, and yet it is still, in my mind, a triumph. You know, it's 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 a fantastic, you know, action thriller. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's with that. a little bit of political context, historical subtext mixed in. I agree with that, especially yeah, because it does fit the Bond mold as well as being a standalone action movie, as opposed to not necessarily as opposed to the Casino Royale, less so, I guess. Yeah, um, and no, Casino Royale is my second favorite, arguably. Um, so it's not like I'm trashing Casino Royale here. Yeah, it's not like these are leaps and bounds um, better than each other. It's not like it's as bad as Goldfinger. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, but uh... <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's wrap. With, we'll uh, just save this for for next time, I guess. But uh, that's gonna okay. do, that's gonna do it for this uh, commentary episode about now of Aaron and Abe. You can of course find more of my work on my personal blog site, thecodeazeke.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at whysoblue.com for my Blu-ray reviews. You can also follow me on Twitter at Aaron's PS3. Scott. Uh, Mendelssohn's Memos. Uh, I write also at Uffington Post, Valley Scene Magazine, but if you want to read everything, including Brandon's Bond essays, Mendelssohn's Memos. Just Google it. It's really easy. I'm on Twitter at at scottmendelssohn.com, or at scottmendelssohn. That's my Twitter handle. And uh, Mendelssohn's Memos does have a Facebook page. If you want to like it, I would appreciate that. Brandon? Uh, I'm on Twitter at btpeters. Uh, you can find my rumblings on Scott's website Mendelssohn's memos um if you need any instruction just rewind this a little bit and he'll tell you uh, also looking for um i have ideas of where to go next after bond but i'm interested to hear what people may want to see me do cool land not before land time, before time not... <laughs> if there is a huge demand maybe okay and um, of course you can find all the other episodes about now out there and enable the regular episodes as we are a generally a, a movie review show that reviews new movies weekly. You can find all the regular episodes as well as the other Bond commentaries and other fun bonus episodes at iTunes and also at hhwled.com. You can find our show there along with the shows from the other guys that are on that network that are really cool and happy to host our show. Outnow.podomatic.com has most of the newest episodes and some exclusives. Email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Again, if you have you know thoughts on favorite Bond movies, favorite Bonds in general, things related to Bond, or just anything in general, even questions you have for you know the next Bond commentary, Quantum of Solace, or whatever, 
outnowpodcast at gmail.com, place to do that, or facebook.com slash outnowpodcast and twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. You can follow and like those pages, even though I always like responding and having fun with the various participants in that. But um, yeah, James Bond and us will return in Quantum of Solace, but until next time, so long and goodbye.